Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mango Talk Star Wars. I'm your host, Lee. I'm here on show by my co-host, Jamie. Jamie, how are you? I'm doing pretty well today. How are you? I'm doing great. We're going to review the finale of Ahsoka, and you know what that means. That means we've got Spencer for three-way pod. Spencer, how are you? Uh, annoyed that my check for my guest appearance fee has still not arrived, but, you know, still here, because I promised. No, no, oh, you did? We'll, Go ahead, we'll double it. Double, double zero. Still zero. You, yeah, yeah, I mean, we should, we should, yeah, we need to up it because you actually did three, four episodes this right. season. This, this is my fourth. I've this had, is your fourth. Half of them. Half kind of these annoying eight episode, eight episode seasons that Disney loves nowadays. We'll triple it, but don't ask for any more. Five. So we I are going to review a, we're reviewing part eight, the Jedi, the witch and the warlord. It's the finale of Ahsoka. Maybe season one, maybe. The series, they haven't said if there's going to be a season two yet or not, so we I don't know that for sure. Did, did I hear wrong? You, you're more internet-y than me. I heard there was going to be season two. No, they haven't. They haven't decided that yet. They haven't announced it yet. So we don't. We don't know. Um, which actually, where we end up is all the more interesting because we don't know if we're going to return with these specific characters or not. So I will start with just how did you like the episode? And let's go to Jamie first. Jamie, what did you think of the episode? Bad. Bad episode. Okay. Spencer. Bad. I did not like it to a degree. I actually struggled through it in the last few minutes. Okay. Well, um, Spencer, what you, what didn't you like about it? What, what, what was upsetting you? What didn't you like? Well, I mean, I, I, I feel like the, it, there was a, a lot of wasted potential at play here in both episode seven and episode eight of where I was getting a very much of a groundswell of support and enjoyment of the show going through about the mid part of where it was getting better each, each and every point. But I was getting worried and we talked about to what degree were they pinning themselves into a corner with their only being an eight episode season with characters making certain decisions. It seems like they would inherently have to ostracize them from other characters but we were hopeful that there would be a certain element of a payoff with respect to those, that they'd find a time to accomplish the necessary elements of the plot, set up things to come in the future, make the character interactions work. I didn't feel like they did any of those in a way that I found satisfying or convincing. The characters come across as even more wooden. They don't have any, almost any element of an emotional connection that I found at times even human uh, for a lot of these uh, interactions going forth in these last two episodes. And the ultimate resolution of the plot I felt like very few of these characters had much of an arc. I mean, it reiterated in my mind that this was just a further a further season of an already established show rather than something that was meant to stand on its own legs. And it felt like it was accomplishing a goal of trying to wrap up another show and then set up somebody else's show rather than doing that much successfully in its own regard. And so I'm left feeling, if anything, I don't think the last episode was straight up bad for me, but it came across as being much more disappointing given how much I liked the episodes that happened in the middle and how little I felt was successfully accomplished here in the last couples of the finale. Jamie, why didn't you like it? So, um, first of all, I want to, I, I do want to give it credit first because we're just doing summary and I don't like, I, you can kind of tell I like being positive about people's work and shows and I like enjoying them. and I like helping people enjoy them and I want people to enjoy them and I want the people who worked on it I'm sure everyone who worked on it listens to our podcast. I want them to feel good about That's it. That's known. That is known. Mm-hmm. So let, let, let me first say two uh, things to mitigate any criticism. First of all, um, I heard, read online, um, that they had to kind of change the ending of the season since their Balin's actor has passed away. They recut, replanned, re-scripted to 
not that he didn't film everything necessarily, but since he's not going to be around to film a season two, they didn't want to paint themselves completely into a corner where they had to have some something there. So maybe some things were changed or rushed or included or not included, not the way they intended because of outside constraints. So I want to give them that pass. I'm not, not necessarily being critical. Maybe they couldn't do anything. And on the other upside, uh, Hera wasn't in it, which is a huge. No, upside. she was in it. She was in it. No, no, I don't think so. I don't, I don't feel like she was. She, she gets to see the Lord Hero returning to the galaxy. No, I don't feel like that happened. No, she, she wasn't. <laughs> You've deleted it, that. I, I don't, I don't feel like she was. She, it doesn't count. She wasn't, she wasn't really there. She didn't do anything. And that, that's a, that's to its credit. No, so right. I hated it actually, as far as an episode goes, because, and I'm, I'm kind of excited for the first time ever. Maybe I disliked an episode more than you two. I was, I've, I've been looking forward to this because I want you guys to tell me why it's great and why, oh no, that statue is actually important because it's King Jubbajoo or something. It doesn't sound That's like Spencer's going to be doing that. I, I, I've been looking forward to this. Um, I feel like they undercut a lot of what they were building up as far as the specialness and character building of Sabine. I feel like they did everything I was afraid that they weren't. I was I expected them and hated in advance them doing as far as just washing away all her mistakes. I feel like they undercut a lot of Thrawn being awesome, actually, on this episode. Not in a totally blatant way, not in a way that ruins the character, but in that just undermines it. They had people making dumb choices over and over again from top to bottom. Everybody from Thrawn to random stormtrooper just not actually even in character realistic stupid choices, just why the hell stupid choices. They killed a character that I thought was interesting and worth keeping around for no real benefit, except maybe sort of one cool fight scene. Uh, Shin, not nearly enough Shin, not nearly enough Balin. And I, I, I hated everything. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, not as negative as, as you two were on the episode. Uh, I thought it was a weaker installment of the show, but overall the show was good for me. It accomplished a lot of what it meant to do. I mean, like, well, what I found interesting in Spencer's comments is he said something along the lines of like, I felt like it was just like a continuation of a previous show setting up another show. And it's like, well, yeah, kind of. And that's like, that's okay to me because like I'm, I am locked into the broader Disney canon. So like that doesn't bother me uh, like a show that fills in gaps because I, I think what we've been told is that we're all going to build, we're building a number of series. Boba Fett was Boba Fett, Mandalorian, Ahsoka, and we're going to build all of that up to a movie Heir to the Empire, which would be a big battle with Thrawn. And then that will potentially explain why Thrawn wasn't in the sequel movies. So I'm okay with that. I, I think there was a couple of things in the episode I didn't like, um, which we'll get into, but primarily the resolution of the Balin and Shin story was really, really weak. And I think, you know, Jamie, you bring up a good point that they may have removed, like he, he probably, I think he did. I think you're right that he shot all the scenes that they wanted from him, but some of the scenes they just cut because they were not going to carry on with the Balin character. And uh, I've said multiple times on this, this podcast that like Shin was my, for the first three or four episodes, Shin was the most interesting character to me. And basically they're like, okay, well she's just going to join like some bandits on a random world. And that's like her resolution, which like, I guess the story is her, um, 
her uh, wanting her desire for power, her chasing power uh, made her small and limited, limited her. But it, it didn't feel like a very interesting end to her story. But the stuff with Thrawn, I, I, I'll be interested to hear as we go through the recap, Jamie, why you think it undercut Thrawn, the character, because I that was the part of the episode that worked for me. Most of the episode was basically anything that Thrawn was in worked. And I felt like what they were Ultimately, what they were really doing is they know they're going to do this movie here to the Empire that where Thrawn will be the big baddie and like that's that's where they're going. So they pivoted away from all of the, the all the non-Thrawn stuff to like a primarily Thrawn episode, which I could see how if you watch this season, you're like, what the what the fuck? Like, where did that come from? But I get why they're doing it, because that's where this story is going to continue. The story will continue with that character in our universe or in our galaxy. Did you guys talk last episode about why Balin just kind of abandoned Shem? So that was oh. a that was a weird moment for me in episode seven that then just seems like they almost doubled down on this episode of where Whoa. they're just completely separated and going in their own way. Abandon's a, a strong word. So Spence, he, he essentially just said, okay, you go that way, I'm going to go this way, and we're not going to talk anymore. Spence, I, I know that Enjoyed you the last 20 years. I, I know that you um, listen multiple times to every episode of this podcast because you are just a <laughs> sure, yeah. So, so you're, you're asking this hypothetically for any listener who for some reason was in a coma last week. Yeah, yeah, of uh, we we did talk about that a bit, um, and I think it's really interesting. Um, I think that he he was sad that her ambition didn't follow his. She wanted. I, I saw it as you know him trying to be a good master, a good father figure, because uh, I don't think he's father and daughter. But um, that nope. He he recognized that what she wanted was not what he wanted. What she actually wanted in her soul, the way she's built her current desires. Aligned with, you know, this is our turn. We get to have power now. Let's enjoy it. And he's like, go, go be a hero, succeed, thrive, join the new empire, join the war, be on the winning side, have your turn, do great. But that's not for me. And you are not going to be happy where I'm going instead. And I'm really curious if she had said, if she had said, no, I'm staying with you, would he have even let her at that point? Or was it that he really understood in her soul she could try to choose to follow him, but that was not that was not what was written on her heart. And he would have maybe insisted she leave. Uh, I don't know whether it was a test to see if she would leave and she, you know, made her choice or whether he just knew where she needed to be. Um, that's what I took away from it. OK, uh, let's maybe we can start going through the recap. And I think a lot of this stuff will get flushed out as we as we roll through. Um, so previously on a lot of thrown in the previously on, which gave me a little bit of a heads up that where this episode might be pivoting to. We start with the Chimera. It looks like all coffins or whatever they have loaded into cargo. We talked about this on the podcast a few times, my theory that they were bringing uh, dead, uh, which is a Dathomir, to the planet Dathomir. And I think that that we got some evidence for that this episode, but um, it wasn't necessarily explicitly said. <clears throat> Thrawn said they were going to begin the interlocking procedure. I can tell you that that interlocking procedure where there's like a big circle, um, with hyperdrives all over it and you put a ship in it and you, you lock it was um uh jamie hit your buzzer it was on the clone wars that we saw this in the clone wars tv show so at least it's uh, consistent with the universe perfectly fine that happened in the movies i mean you know, obi-wan's ship was always a tiny little ship that had to like click into a circle this is just a bigger one because it goes further it's fine I, I, i'm going to strongly recommend in the future that they do the interlocking procedure about a hundred feet off the ground i think it would massively prevent the heroes from being able to do any aspect of the plot in this episode okay um so thrawn gets an update from anoki 
Uh, says they found the Jedi shuttle's location. He sends out two fighters. This confuses Elspeth. She says we need to move the Chimera a hundred feet above the. No, hold on. She didn't say that actually. Uh, sorry, <laughs> that, that wasn't said. So I guess the I guess we still have plot left in the episode. Uh, she says they can't do shit basically. Um, and he's like, look, I've watched many an Imperial uh, Imperial make the same assumption about the rebellion. Even I fell victim to the heroics of a single Jedi. Never again. Um, kind of like that. I, I did like that line. I, I think it's one of the things Jamie would be talking about with respect to Thrawn, of where I think this builds off something that annoyed me in the last episode of Thrawn has talked about, you know, we can't do things. I've got very limited resources. But then when he's got an opportunity to kill the heroes, he kind of just commits resources very piecemeal in a way that I don't get. Like, if you know exactly where they are, why just send two TIE fighters? You've got more. Why not send ten? You know where the heroes are. Why send just two shuttles full of stormtroopers and then call them away halfway through? Why? Why can't why 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 isn't he committing more resources to kill them right now? Why is he seemingly just willingly sacrificing little little units of guys in a way where he could just send more and accomplish more? You want me so, to kill this one? <laughs> I, I have a theory, but I don't I don't really like my own theory. My theory is that you know, this is his gambit of if these if the small troop wins, great. Low odds of success, but small troops win, great. If the small troops lose, also great, because then I'm just small hit, small hit, small hit. Keep them distracted. Keep buy more time. That's really what this is for. And he has seen what happens when you overcommit a giant army in one place. And that's sometimes you just lose even to a much smaller force. And Jedi are weird and unpredictable, which is part of why he hates them. You know, one Jedi can die to a random you know, blast, blaster. One blaster can take out a Jedi if he gets weirdly distracted and lucky. Or a Jedi can take out literally your entire army. Just kind of depends if he's having a good force day. Um, so I think <laughs> they said all the... If he said good force day. The, yeah. Um, he woke up on the right side of the force. I don't know. But um, <laughs> I think that by Thrawn's reckoning, if you sent 20 TIE fighters, there's a decent chance that somehow the Jedi take out all 20 of them. And that's just an unacceptable thing. And so the cost-benefit analysis is lower the chance of total victory to put the chance of terribleness at zero. And, you know, if even if I lose, I still win because I delayed them. That's my theory. i do not not sure I love it. I think it's exactly what the show is going for, but I think they set it up as being weirdly self-fulfilling. That if you're committing limited resources to accomplish something, then, of course, you're going to get those people killed and it's not going to accomplish much. And that seems what just keeps happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that the entire point, most of the point of if we can kill them, let's kill them from previous episodes was his concern that they were going to stop him from getting off of Peridia. But in this situation, he can commit a few resources. He does there. And I liked what Jamie, how Jamie articulated. You don't want to send a bunch of his resources out because you just never fucking know with these yet. I mean, they may just take down all of them. And you may kill them, great, or you may delay them, which is exactly what happened, right? Like, as you shot down the, the plane or whatever, or in his, I mean, whatever, uh, shoot down the plane um, to delay them, and that helps you get off, too. I think that, like, leaving them behind on Peridia was 95% as good to throw on as killing them. Like it, it, he, killing them might be a little bit better, but like his whole point, he kept he kept saying in multiple episodes, our entire purpose is to get out of here. So he wanted to make sure that they did not 
stop him from getting out of there. That's how I read it. Jamie? Why hadn't he already packed his luggage? Why did he need three days to pack his luggage? That one's never explained. He he had psychic witches who could tell him when to be ready, and he wasn't ready. Why was he not ready? Why does he need to wait to then to pack them anyway? If they're just loading them up on a Star Destroyer he already had, why couldn't they just be stored on the Star Destroyer? That's a good question, and I want Lee to defend this great Thrawn guy who's good at planning, who also never seems to run. I'm just saying if he jogged once in this whole episode, he would have bought the time he needed. Would help with that gut some. I got the impression that he was just, he was somewhere else. Uh, and he, when we, when the series, when we see the Chimera come in at the beginning of the series, that is him coming to that location for the first time. And that's where the bodies were. So that's where he picked them up. So uh, that's, that was my interpretation of the events. I don't, I don't think, I didn't get the impression, could be wrong, they weren't, they weren't explicit about this, uh, but I didn't get the impression that he had been just chilling with the great mothers of Dathomir for like ages. I think he just got hooked up with them, um, maybe again after a, a period, and he, this was his first time near whatever this cargo was. But I think it's relatively clear in how they dealt with the cargo that there is more to be explained on that later. Like that is, that was not, they they did not finish that explanation. So like, it's a little hard to answer that question when we don't even know what the cargo is right now, right? Um, that could the, the when they give the further explanation of what the cargo is, the importance of it, that could flesh out some of this backstory. And it, I just it could, uh, you know, it has a time limit on it. it it's actually um, uh, caviar. It's it's all caviar. It, it goes bad if it's out in Wharton room temperature for too long. I'm suspecting the hand wave will ultimately be if these are in some way connected with the uh, the dark dark mother's magic, the witches of Dathomir magic, uh, that they had to be stored in the temple in some way insulated within those magics, and they only can be kept out of that for so long, and that's why they're going to Dathomir first with respect to these. And that might work, but we got none of that in the show so far. So we'll see on the next season of whatever new show they come out next. Can I say something about caviar? Yeah. Uh, yeah, please. Spencer, have you ever had caviar? Kind of sucks for me. Okay, Jamie, you ever had caviar? Uh, I think so. I've had roe, which is kind of the same thing. Yeah. It's fish. I mean, it, 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 so we're just going to be on others. We got you two over on the one yard line and I'm over here in the end zone, uh, on the other team because I fucking love caviar and I, I hate that it's gotten this reputation as like the like pinky finger out like thing. It's like, if you're at a nice dinner and you know there's a forty dollar caviar dish that is a couple bites, like okay, okay, that is uh that's pretty nice. Like I actually really have enjoyed caviar when I've tried it in the past. Now, roe is not necessarily the same thing. Like when you have roe in a sushi restaurant, like that is not caviar. I, I caviar is a kind of roe. Yeah. It is that, but caviar is not all. Not all roe is not caviar. For what it's worth, I was not trying to like disparage him as being frivolous. Uh, I was trying to just describe something that was not magically important, but just needed to be refrigerated. Uh, devil's eggs. It's deviled eggs. He's really, really proud of his deviled eggs recipe. He's going to Southern. Uh, you can't that, leave those things out. They I just don't know, man. Immediately. I just have always, always like caviar. Dude, you can't show up at a Dathomir potluck without bringing deviled eggs. They're, they're the evil witches. They need the deviled eggs. Leon, caviar. Caviar is an exact category for me of something I acknowledge is a high-quality food that I also have, from prior experience, have realized is completely wasted on me. 
It's like, this is a food of a certain level of quality and expense that does not have a net benefit upon me, uh, factoring those in. Lobster is honestly in the same category for me of where this is an expensive food that I know people very much enjoy that I do not like anywhere near enough to justify paying for it. The salty mouthfeel, how it hits like all parts of your tongue. Like it's, it's pretty dope. I am a big fan. There are other ways to get salty mouthfeel. Um, he goes up to the great mother. She says he likes the alliance. They are too. They pull Elspeth forward to be rewarded. Thank you, Jamie. Um, oh, the, I, Salty Mouthfeel is my stage name. I'm just saying, like, it's just different levels of the same joke. They give her the gift of shadows. Uh, question for the group. Spencer, if you had to turn the episode off by this point, uh, was Elsbeth killed here or was she given some sort of, like, additional power? Was question being, after this procedure where she puts the great mother puts hands on her head and looks like it burns out her skull and then all of a sudden boop she's back Elspeth again is she alive post that is she still the same Elspeth just pat leveled up or did it did it was this some version of what we saw with the stormtroopers later i interpreted this as leveling up rather than murder and replacement yes leveling up and there was there is some aspect of a loss of self with it but that might just be a like you leave your name behind or you dedicate yourself more to the cause and to be unselfish or whatever um she still talked afterwards so she was some mount sentient could have been the great mothers controlling her but she seemed you know to be to have pause to not know what they knew to reconsider things to not always just parrot what other people said seems seemed like her it, I mean, the language they used was, do you abandon your old life for this new one? So there's certainly an element of transformation going to this, but I don't see this as, hey, would you like to be a zombie now? More of, you will be transformed by our magic and, and you'll ne- never be the same as a result. And when Thrawn and the mothers, you know, told her to stay, or Thrawn told her to stay and the mothers were there, she was surprised. So she's still aware enough to be capable of surprise and made the decision to stay. And it's also, not, I mean, Assigns what weight you want, but the, the uh, but are they called the, the dark mothers? What, what, what is the actual term for these, these ladies? Uh, well, the, they're the the witches of Gathamir, but they're the great mothers. Right. So they're they're the they're the grandmothers. They're if they're great, they're grand, and if they're grandmothers, they're memes. The three memes. I will never be able to think of them other than those terms. Now, thank you. The three memes. Dudes <laughs> explicitly say at the end of the episode uh, when um, Morgan gets sliced, Morgan is dead. So they are still assigning her the, the, the they're still using tr- treating her as Morgan when she when she expires in that moment. So it, basically, they taught her how to use a sword. And they downloaded kung sword kung fu into her head. And uh, no, Bruce Lee taught this lady how to use a sword, and she actually is one of the highlights of the episode for me. Of hey, this is somebody that actually knows how to fight. They can't they have in this role, same as I'm she was back in the Mandalorian. I would love to see more of this sword fighting. I'm so looking forward to the next season when she'll do more sword fighting because she's oh, a full cool oh. character and good actress that they invested in and made us care about and even leveled her up in the finale. Ooh, I want to see this leveled up character more. That yeah. is going to be great. Yeah, it's, it, it is a shame. The two main people on the show that seem like they actually know how to fight this actress, so I'll look up her name, and Ray Stevenson, will not be in the next season if there is one, sadly. What? Are you saying our, our scriptwriters? Our scriptwriters are, are are wasting potential. <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm not. I, I am not sure what they're going to do with the Balin character. They the recasting is on the table, so I, I don't know that necessarily the Balin character is done forever. I, I, have, um, I have I have a headcanon on that, or a hope, or a suggestion for you know the showrunners who are listening to me now on that one. I'll, I'll say it now. 
I would actually love it if through pre-recorded stuff or CG or something. We, we talked previously how, you know, Lee's theory is he's going to walk through a portal into the world between worlds and do some shenanigans there. I would love it if they do that. And through pre-recorded or even, see, you know, um, you know, de-aged something, a lookalike, he's wearing a hood, you don't see his face. He does that. He goes into a portal. And as he walks through, young him as he was when he saw Anakin and Order 66 pops out. So they're able to recast him as like an 18-year-old actor. And he's like, what the hell? I haven't looked like – Anakin shows up and he's like, that's Tiny Tim. He's like, nobody's called me Tiny Tim in 30 fucking years, you asshole. Like, I, I would love that so much. And then they would have a good reason to have a young, completely different actor who's just carefully chosen to look like a young version of him. That would That would be a way to completely make it work. And uh, Morgan Elspeth's actress is Diana Lee Inosanto, and she's well-acknowledged as a very accomplished martial artist, and she gets the opportunity to show in this episode in a way that is impressive, particularly at her age now. We can talk more about her fight later. I'm disappointed in almost every scene of this movie, so, you know, we'll get to that when we get to it. Indeed. They also give her a sword. This is the Blade of Talzin, which we saw in the Clone Wars animated series. Um, Then we get this fantastic shot of TIE Fighters flying out behind Thrawn and title sequence. This is actually a specific sword. Yeah, it's the blade of Talzin, which uh, the the witches of Dathomir have used in the past. It was used in the Clone Wars TV show. We saw it. It has the, the same had the same little green, you know, Dathomir magic on the blade. Same same sort of representation. Cut to our heroes with the note. Green powders made of. Thank you. You're Moving welcome. around, we start a scene with Ezra building a lightsaber. He's going back and forth with Hu Yang. Um, I have to give credit to Jamie for something. We argued a little bit about this in the last episode. Uh, I said that, like, Ahsoka just sort of showing up and helping them, helping Ezra and Sabine fight off the stormtroopers and raiders and Shin frustrated me because I thought the whole point of Ahsoka going to this place was to stop Thrawn and Jamie was like, yeah, they'll do that next episode. And I was like, ah, they better. Well, they, they do, right? Immediately give me that sentence. They where, try. Where, they, well, but that, like, okay. It doesn't show what their, their, their motivation is there. You know, yes. They were going, they were gathering their troops to go together to Thrawn because Ahsoka trying to go after Thrawn by herself without actually even knowing where Thrawn is on the planet. Not, not the smartest thing. Like going to get, get, get yeah. your out. And as we hear from Ahsoka here in a minute, she is not, while that necessarily endorsing, she is making active steps to protect her apprentice's decisions in life. And her apprentice's decision is to rescue Ezra. It's so chart the entire Star Wars and, you know, uh, enable genocide. That's her, that's her, that's her buddy's decision. And, you know, you gotta stand by your buddies, don't you? Let's get to the next couple scenes, and then let's discuss how the show handled that whole thing about that character's decisions. I'm a quiver. Let's move on. So, point I was making is that they uh, said that uh, she immediately, Ezra tells Hu Yang, oh, well, you know, Ahsoka said we have to go to Thrawn immediately, and that's why he's building the lightsaber. So at least I got the sentence that explains that, like, after the events of last episode, Ahsoka told Ezra and... Sabine, like, we gotta go, gotta go to Thrawn now. I was gonna be real hung up if they just sort of like kick back and Ahsoka considered it a victory that they found Ezra because there was this whole conversation previous in the season of her saying, finding Ezra is not the primary goal here, it's stopping Thrawn. So at least they talked about that. So the, there's a back and forth with Hu Yang and, uh, our guy Ezra and, um, 
basically, it seems like Ezra does not respect the hustle with Hu Yang at all until Hu Yang finally says, well, I did know Kanan. Uh, I knew Kanan Jiris. I knew him as a kid. And that clever boy, Caleb, he was shy, a little shy, perhaps. And that kind of blows back Ezra. And that's like some street cred with Ezra, who then immediately is like, oh, this Hu Yang fucker. He knows what he's talking about. So they finish up with the lightsaber being built. And if you do a screenshot to screenshot of the lightsaber um, that was built with in this scene with Ezra back to Kanan's lightsaber in Ezra it, or in Rebels, it's about a one to one. So he basically just recreated the lightsaber of his master, which is a nice little Easter egg for people who watch the show. Jamie? Tiny point that I just want to say as we're discussing this, you're right that they knew they needed to go stop Thrawn in a hurry. But no, none of our heroes know Thrawn's timeline. So none of them know how much time they have. I wanted to put that out there as we're going forward with some of the things that make more sense and less sense because of that. Because I had to remind myself of that a couple times. If you were in their shoes, you would have to assume that you don't have much time. You don't know I, exactly, but you would have it, to assume that Thrawn is actively either packing or leaving. I, I, If I were them, I would have been surprised to see uh, the the TIE fighters and the stormtroopers, because I would have assumed Thrawn's already gone. Like, I would have assumed Thrawn is gone within two hours, is what yeah. would have been my expectation. But they didn't know. Question of the scene also with the building the lightsaber. Is Hu Yang just holding some of Ezra's master's stuff? Yes. Well, no. No, it's not Ezra's master's stuff. It's like... it. It's like... Uh, trying to think of a good analogy that I want to make. He has the parts for lightsabers, and he said that there were two matching pieces, and one was used by your master for his, and I've had the other one around, so I think you should have it. You know, this is the matching. It's the guy. It's the wand guy from Harry Potter. He said, "Look, hey, yes, it is the wand guy. Yes. It's the wand guy from Harry Potter. Yes, exactly. I, I didn't want to make the comparison, but there you go. No, that's that, what they're going for. Yeah, that's that's what. Well, and and Hu Yang has had this this ship. I mean. It, Ahsoka uses it now, but this was a uh, a Jedi ship. My understanding of this ship is that it was uh, it was owned by the Jedi. Hu Yang was the the pilot. He was the one who who kept it had kept it going. And when Order sixty six happened, Hu Yang basically got the fucking ship and just took the fuck off. And Ahsoka has joined up with him and now uses it. But it was it was it's been Hu Yang's ship for a really long time. So it's not surprising to me he's just got shit everywhere. Um, so then we hear him say this line that when Ezra's like, how old are you? He says, I'm old enough to know the relationship between a master and apprentice is as challenging as it is meaningful. And Sabine hears that line from Hu Yang. Ezra goes to talk to her and she's left. And Ezra's like, what happened between those two? And uh, Hu Yang gives a little bit of a backstory, which is something that we did not know because this was all this was done in between shows, which is that Ahsoka was scared that Abin was training simply for revenge for the events that happened in Mandalore, which is the night of a thousand tears. Um, yeah. I do really wish this had been set up a little bit earlier in the show, because this is an interesting degree of tension that would have informed a bit more about the character's relationship. Uh, if we'd had this a bit earlier on, like even in their first moment of reinteraction. Yeah. Um, Cause this is, this is a lot of what the tension has been between them that we're now finding out here in the finale. So, so and I, I am okay with the slow roll on that because on the one hand, I, I do like it when things are realistic and you, they don't just lure dump for an audience who isn't there. A lot of times people have unsaid stuff that just they'll go months or years without saying because they both know and they don't have to. I, I kind of appreciate the realisticness of sometimes those slow rolls. And it gives me a reason to think back a lot more. And it is really interesting. And I don't feel like I've fully appreciated 
what that means. But my first takeaway is Ahsoka's an asshole. Like, what? Isn't that the whole thing is that this is somebody who now needs the training more because they have these demons they're going to be fighting for inside of them? You're worried there's too much darkness inside them. I mean, I guess that's why they shouldn't have trained Anakin because he had too much darkness. But maybe that I should be better at helping people who have some darkness to work through instead of only training saints to try to stay saints. This is just such a great character moment that would perfectly have tied into what was Ahsoka's one bit of character development really on the show of her tension about her concerns about her master and what that leaves for her own legacy. That could, they could have easily tied that into her then her concerns about Sabine and made that a central part of the arc of these two characters over the course of the show in terms of how they interact and where they ultimately end up. And they just didn't do really any of that. The tension is kind of there a little bit, but they've already kind of worked past it and, it, and they're not really directly tying it into what Ahsoka was going through previously, but is now kind of sort of past. I, I like I like um, IPs. I like stories where you know you give the audience a lot of credit. And you even give them like, you know, fridge logic or fridge horror where people will realize something, a connection after they're done watching the story, like a day later, they'll make a connection. I like anything that's interesting enough. And most things in you know pop culture is is, is not necessarily that much surprise, hidden meanings. And I feel like this actually kind of is that where I'm, I still feel like I haven't thought it through all the way like that. I hadn't really even connected it to that and how. Yeah, she was kind of a jerk to stop training her when she needed the most. But what has she seen? She saw that somebody who was training and trying to train their way through family loss and fear turned to the dark side. So she had a reason to think, well, Sabine's going to probably do the same thing Anakin did because she was living in fear of that. And so now she's recommitting to Sabine because she's reaccepting of Anakin. And that's a really interesting parallel, too. I, I kind of like giving the audience the credit that we'll think that through on our own, even I, though... It, it makes it less powerful while you're watching. I agree. It makes it less powerful. It, it, it would require it would have required practically a 12 episode season, I think, to have more set that up and develop it more thoroughly. And that's just not the resources look, that they were structuring this with. Look, Spencer, I know that you know you, you, you're look. There, there, there's me and Lee and intelligence here in the middle, and then there's like you know the average Walmart shopper above us because we're below that, and you're like below us. So if you get up to us, and you'll, you'll understand things the way we do someday, Spencer. I feel like you answered your own. You, that was a really interesting, like, s- sequence. Because Jamie, you were like, she's such a jerk for like stopping training her when she needs it most. I mean, what's the what? I mean, that, what's the well? I guess yeah. I guess with Anakin, that, that was kind of a problem where he you know he sort of blew up the whole universe. Anyway, but yeah, she was still a jerk. And it's like, well, you kind of answered your own question there about like why yeah. why she might be a tad concerned to train somebody I, who's like got that much evil and hate in him. So I. I am, I am, I'm happy right now. Like, this is not my favorite part of the episode because I didn't actually even notice it. S- talking to Spencer is why I realized this. I'm teasing. It's what, it's what we're here for, man. Clearly, he's the smart one to have noticed that, and I did not. Um, <laughs> I, I think I would have at some point made that. It, it, it does inform a lot of my frustration with this episode. Where there's a lot of brands they had in the fire. There's a lot of different little interesting plots or character background or character motivation that they obviously have. But they don't really use them. I, I, I read that as they're giving us the credit that people like you are going to come up with these. People like me are going to listen to you, people like you, at least if we care enough to. And so they're giving us stuff to chew on. They're not spoon feeding us all this. I can daydream on my own time. I'm here to see somebody else's imaginings. 
So I think this is uh, probably your favorite part of the episode here. Cut to Sabine outside the <laughs> ship. She talks to Ahsoka, but Ahsoka tells her a gamble paid off. So, you know, I do. Man, I would have given her a tongue lashing here, but Ahsoka does not do that. Sabine says that she never thought she'd see Ezra again. Ahsoka gives her credit for making that happen. Sabine apologizes. Ahsoka says, I know. Flashback, of course, to the I love you, I know from Empire Strikes Back. Ahsoka says uh, over the years, she's made her share of difficult decisions. Often no one understood my reasons except my master, Anakin. He always stood by me, even when no one else did. And that's why, no matter what happens next, I'm going to be there for you. Sabine seems to like that, of course. Ahsoka asks her if she's kept up with her training. Sabine mentions her lightsaber, and Ahsoka sort of dismisses that. And it's like, ah, it's more than, than being, you know, fighting with a lightsaber. I'll stop there, because I imagine you guys have some thoughts on this back and forth. Uh, as we talked about, but I was last year for episode six, I think it was episode six, um, we, I, I kind of needed this to be a bigger deal. I kind of needed more people to call out Sabine for being a selfish shit here in a way that's going to get lots of people killed and set up the, as you, as you're saying, the overarching plot of Disney's Star Wars TV cinematic universe. That is not okay. That is incredibly selfish and self-centered and short-sighted in a way that will decide the fate of the galaxy going forward. And the fact that the show is grounding the character's acceptance of this is, I support you because, you know, you're my student and people didn't stand with me before, and so I want to stand with you, as a way of then hand-waving, I don't feel the need to then call you out for doing something that's outright straight-up horrible and terrible, is completely unacceptable to me. The fact that there's an implication that whatever confrontation happened between Ezra and Sabine happened completely off camera or just never occurs and she's just lying to him by omission over the course of this show is completely unacceptable to me. But, Jim, please, jump in. I'll, I'll, I'll offer more later. So, first of all, she absolutely lying to him by omission. I think they've kind of addressed it because he keeps being like, so you really you really don't want to talk about how, how you got here? You really don't talk want to talk about how we're getting home? And she's like, no. And he's like, all right. Like So, yes, she absolutely is lying to him. And I Somehow it escaped me that he got back and she didn't, so they don't have to ever talk about it. Um, I I took this in this scene as a little bit of now's not the time, Sabine. A little bit of that. Like we we have to work together right now to try to fix things, and so now is not the time to get into like guilt or blame or punishment or anything. But I have your back. I can you you go into a firefight. You want to be able to trust people. You can trust me. I can trust you. I have your back. And I got. Almost a threatening tone, which I maybe was wishful thinking of. No. You're, well, she no, was I, smiling wistfully at her the entire time. No, like, oh, no, you, I made bad decisions too. That's just growing up. So, so the, the, the part that I almost thought, not, not her making threats, but I felt was maybe foreshadowing is a better word. What I would hope to see is that season two, I'm going to say there is a season two because they clearly were building for one existing. And I, some of my unhap, some of my unhappiness is, I kind of wanted it to be a series finale and it played out like a season finale. And that's, that's one of the many reasons I'm unhappy. And that one is on me because it isn't a series finale necessarily. It's a season finale. But if in season two you had, she's going in front of, you know, a court martial. She's Sabine's going in front of a, you know, treason with death penalty. And, you know, and, and Ahsoka, is in her corner the whole time, like, well, no, I'm not going to break you out of prison. I'm, you're going to take consequences, the law or whatever. 
but like I'm supporting you and going to be here for you and I'm on your side. I'm going to testify only in your defense and whatever. I kind of got that of whatever comes, I'm here for you as like you're going to – what goes around comes around as you murder the universe. But I'm going to give you what help and support I can give you. And I I kind of read it that way as wishful thinking. It's one of those things where I feel in many ways overarching problem with just how the show is portrayed emotions between characters. It's okay to have somebody you very much like and still be mad at them. It's okay to call them out when they do something wrong and still love them and support them endlessly. Your relationship is not shattered by that moment of legitimately expressing that someone did something very wrong and that you're not okay with it. I'm not convinced from this scene and what the show gives us that the show is willing to go so far as to say Sabine did anything wrong. Because we've never had anyone call her out on it, or even the show say explicitly that what she did was anything other than selfish. I, it's, I, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, please, go on. I, was gonna say, I, I think that you're right, and I think that might just be they're trying to aim this at a lot of different audiences, including kids uh, at the same time. And that's a very sophisticated, honestly, um, interpersonal interaction. You know, I, I, I've said, not on this show, but in my life, you know, my growing up, my parents never really argued, at least not in front of us. And I, they were doing that for a lot of different reasons. You know, I knew they disagreed on their own, but they never argued in front of us. And in some Ooh, ways, must be nice. Oh, well, in some ways, it really, <clears throat> well, well, that's the thing. Like, I think of that as really good, but it left me with this feeling like if you're arguing with somebody, you don't argue with people you love. You don't argue with family. You, if you're, if you're, if somebody's yelling at you, that means they don't like you anymore. And it made me kind of grow up without that kind of understanding that you can have somebody who you like and love and want to keep in your life and be arguing and be really mad at them at the same time. And I think that's a really hard middle ground on a really touchy topic. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm touching a lot of like interpersonal weirdness here, but I think you're right. I think they're kind of showing. She can't yell at her because she forgives her. And because she forgives her, they can gloss over the problem because they know that in the end, they trust each other. You, you, you just know, you actually do need to work through the anger. Skipping over the anger just because you know you're going to work through it eventually is a disservice to everyone. means that you don't actually get past it. It's unhealthy. It's, it's, it's almost just practically there's, a, there's an often to talk about on stage in the theater, you overact because you're projecting to the back rows and t- television has to dial that down to a certain degree. I feel like they've dialed this down way too far where no one's got that much of like an emotional range. Everyone's just kind of at a, roughly the same, like four or five. And just in terms of emotional vibrancy, you see from them of where if they're happy, they're kind of, they're kind of happy. If they're angry, they're, they're somewhat annoyed. We don't get to see much in the way of just what, you know, a normal range of emotions would be for the kind of things they're being thrown at these characters. Yeah, they're all kind of either stoic or repressed or both, all of them, good and bad in the whole show. All of them. And there are reasons for their characters being that way, but it's not very good to have them all be like that. And, you know, I, I, I'm i here partially just to bring in random other media. Um, have either of you ever seen the TV show Steven Universe? There's a joke there that he finds the space Nazis and says, oh, come on, you guys, they're really sorry. They're really sorry for what they did. We should forgive them. And it's like... Oh, you know what, Sabine? I one time stepped on somebody's foot. So, you know, I know what it's like to make a mistake. I forgive you for unleashing the Empire on the entire universe again. Thanks, Sabine. 
She's almost as bad as Hera. That's all I'm saying. Also, practically speaking, even if you are Ahsoka, even if you forgive your your apprentice, or more importantly, are willing to stand with your apprentice even when they mess up, which is fine. That's in character. That's reflecting what your own life and decisions are, whatever else. Even if you're not feeling the need to express that emotional range right now, wouldn't you tell your apprentice, the person that you're educating and guiding through the universe, that, okay, well, you've made your decisions, and you made your decisions to help this guy. You need to tell that guy what you did. That's an important part of you as a person developing and, you know, facing the, facing the ramifications of your decision so that we can, you know, stand with you going forward. Isn't that almost like the essential conversation that has to occur of, I sacrificed everything for you to do this, and I know that's fucked up, but as being fair to you, the person I did all that for, I gotta tell you that shit? Yeah, yeah, the whole Sabine, beyond just, you know, unleashing him on the throne on the universe for selfish reasons. I'm giving you all that guilt that I did that for you. Yeah, oh yeah, now I have to give you the guilt that I did it for you. Uh, so now it's on you, because if you had just like, you know... Uh, you know uh, I, I was on, just chilling uh, with the turtles. Gosh. Uh, yeah, just no repercussions for her, no judgment, uh, no respect. Uh, wait, are you saying that she, that she has trouble respecting somebody's sacrifice? What are Sabine? As she later in this episode again shows that she does not know how to listen to people in respect of sacrifice on which side of the galaxy the person's choosing to be on and where to go. What? Ah, gosh. So Ahsoka tells her to train her mind and her body. Trust in the Force. Ship door opens. In comes Ezra. He announces that he finished the lightsaber and they see the ties coming and the ties attack. Uh, Ahsoka yells, with me now, Ezra. Random question. Is this actor wearing contacts or something? Because he yeah, yeah. does not blink. He's yeah, just so wide-eyed staring at all times. There's, Ezra had bright blue eyes in Rebels that was, like, really striking. And they this actor clearly doesn't have blue eyes, so they have given him bright blue contacts. It, it, it is affecting his ability to act. Just either CGI that in or just ignore that feature because he is just... He, he is like he has taken a massive shot of caffeine right before he gets into any scene. Look, look he he's been with the uh, with the um, uh, uh, um, he he's been with the crab people for a long time. So he's picked no up tea. Like, crab people. The crab people don't blink very often. He's picked up their mannerisms. Now he's just very intense all the time. They've got it, eye talks, man. He has to have wide eye or they don't respect him. It, it, it was more just dark for me in episode seven of where just every scene, everyone else is, you know, blinking and acting normally. And he's just as wide eyed as humanly possible at every scene that he's in. But I still noticed that this was that that's a weird directorial choice you gave for this character about, okay, just stare just as big eyed as possible in every scene unblinking you can. Look, I didn't notice that. And I am making this up on the spot, as we just said it, but I am now 100% behind. He has picked up body language from the eye stalk, and he now is, is like that all the time, where his eyes are really wide because he's had body language with a eye stalk alien friend Jamie, for what's 20 wrong, years. What's wrong with this? They always have their eye stalks out. So the idea of looking away from somebody or covering your eyes is the utmost of, a demonstration of disrespect because it's a conscious effort you have to do. So I'm sure that with these horrible moments of just cultural clash of where he would blink or look away in normal human interactions, they just almost ostracized from, from the people from what is a remarkable cultural faux pas. And his multiple girlfriends who were sure that he had what he was saying. He's been there for like 20 years. Look, the man's bag. The man's bang to crap. I mean, look, what, what do you do? I mean, look, look at the guy. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like, I'm not saying anything, but I'm just saying that I'm just saying. They get their Yoda on and they 
jump to the bottom to hold the ship so it doesn't squash the Nodi, it seems like. Uh, and they're able to do it. Uh, Sabine gets in the cockpit, uses it to jump forward, destroys both the ties uh, in a sort of like damaging procedure. And she then walks away from it really sort of casually and says she got him. This show is really doubling down on every Imperial soldier being incompetent as shit because the tie the these are Thrawn's personal guys. The tie officers, the tie pilots' method of confronting the situation. They do a wonderful job of shooting you know down the giant cruiser. They accomplish their mission, and then when it's just laid at them, they get like three or four seconds to react to that, and their chosen reaction is to cross their arms and let go of the controls and just die. Yes, stay in formation about 10 feet apart. Just go a little bit away. You're alive. Don't do, I mean, you're being sent out to kill if you can, but mostly to cripple. You've crippled. You then go back to base. Like, you did a strafe, you hit, you go back. Mission accomplished, you're done. Or you double back and shoot it again. Flying at it without shooting your guns and just, it's coming at us. Good thing that we're in the most maneuverable ships that any Star Wars video game has, I think, ever had. Oh, mm-hmm. I forgot that my stick goes up, down, left, or right. I thought it went straight forward while I was on rails, like I'm on a bobsled team. The slightest just flick of their wrist, they're alive, and they get back to base, and, that, and the jelly ship crashes. But no, or they, bump, or, pan, or, they panic. Or bump the button that shoots it a second time. They are not rationing lasers that hard. Nope, lasers recharge. The Nodi are stressed. Ezra says it's going to slow them down no, a bit. Wait, wait. Lee, you need to defend this to us if you don't want us to think that all of Thrawn's army are incompetent. Tell no, the, the, this is this is get no. The, I I um I think that the podcast will be more enjoyable if uh, I do the recap and let you guys just pile on. <laughs> um, because I don't think the audience wants to hear us really arguing that much about it. I think that you guys are pretty funny in your takedown of the episode. I don't necessarily agree with it. I also just don't get like my podcast jollies on shitting on stuff. Spencer does. That we're the yin and the yang. That's why we work so well together. So he is going to yin, man. He's going to roll. I think that the way that this should go is you guys should just continue to do your thing. I will do the pod. I I will jump in if I feel really strongly about something, but like. I don't feel super strongly about any of these scenes, so I think we should just move on. Well, that that's your right. But here's the thing. How I actually get my jollies is finding the things that you're unhappy about and telling you how you can be happier about them or telling you the things that I hated. And then you tell me something interesting or and then I love them. Like now at least one scene because Spencer explained some context that hadn't occurred to me. I now love and actually as much as he was down on it, I think it's clever and I like how they laid it out for me. Please make me like this part. No? Yeah, not, not, it got nothing for you. So the note to your stress, Ezra's going to slow them down a bit. Uh, Ahsoka says only if they let it and then they get on those little native wolf things or whatever. Jamie. Good I have something else to say that bothered me here. This didn't slow them down at all. This sped them up because when yeah. they had the ship, they were moving at the speed of a whelk. Probably yep. moving across the tide pool at a walk. And as soon as it's shot down, then they move at a gallop. This sped them along. Why were they just following the crab people? Why weren't they just... They had a ship and they they were going to confront Thrupp. Why weren't they just going? The only thing they were doing was making a lightsaber. I assume that either they were going slow so that they would be able to protect the Welks, or... Your presence is a bigger threat to them than anything else. 
or they thought that the Welks, even as their only defensive, would be a distraction or a help in the siege of Thrawn. So yeah, the, I got I got the impression that they all people and children and tailors were all going to be part of their army. I guess I don't know. I got the impression that they were waiting on him to build a lightsaber because uh, Ezra comes in and says, I got to build this really fast because Ahsoka says we need to go get Thrawn immediately. He comes out excited that he has it, which indicates to me that that would have spurred a different action on it. Like, OK, I got the lightsaber. Now we go. So my hint, my thought was they were they were waiting for him to finish the the piece with the lightsaber and then they were going to take off. So if you think about it through that lens, it didn't really speed them up because they likely when Ezra came out and said, I've got the lightsaber, they would have taken off on the ship. So it did slow them down a little bit. I would recommend that you can also make a lightsaber while going to your destination. Yeah, they clearly can do it in route. It didn't seem that far away, but I don't know. Uh, So if they went at full speed the whole time, they would have been there too early. So yeah, he could have gotten a little closer. I I agree that part. If you assume that they were going to go at full speed once he was done, I accept, you know, maybe they could have gone a little faster, but they really were just waiting until he was done because they wouldn't want to show up and have him half finished. Um, and if they get, you know, I ugh, bleh, frustrating. You all ever see the show How I Met Your Mother? I did. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's an episode in that where Barney Barney's like the um, the the real womanizing guy on the episode. The he, rogue. Um, the rig. Yeah. He the rig talks about this concept of glass shattering that you're on a date with somebody and if that and you're like romantically interested in someone and if someone shatters the glass for you that like then you can there's no going back like so somebody tells you man they got an irritating laugh and then they they would do the effect on the show that the glass shatters and then all barney could hear is the laugh let me i'm just i'm talking to the audience now what has happened in this episode is jamie and spencer have shattered the glass and so now when the date puts the elbows on the table, it's like, good God, should, should, did you need to put the fucking elbows on the table? I mean, my God, we're at a nice restaurant. What? Oh, she's ordering two she, appetizers? Who orders two appetizers? What sense does that make? Like, this is the part we're at. You're feeding off each other's energy. I appreciate it. But, like, some of the beef is, like, y'all just didn't like the episode. And now it's, like, it's it's a pylon situation. It's, like, some of the stuff, some of the stuff super fair Others are like, oh, this is what happens when you don't like an episode and you're j- you're being forced to go through it beat by beat. You're going to just shit on every single ja- part of it. Jamie, if we keep doing this this hard, we will get him to defend the episode. Keep going, man. We're getting close. Yeah, I like this. So I, I will say you're not completely wrong. A lot of the things that I don't like about this episode come down to character choices that are so suboptimal that they seem to undermine characters' competence on both sides and that come down to timing where, you know, th- there's the joke. It's not a joke, I think, that on a Star Wars convention, somebody asked, you know, how fast did the ship go? And the answer is at the speed of plot. Like, mm. if they need to arrive just in time, that's how fast they can fly. If they need to arrive and be late, that's how fast they can fly. Like, they've... Little finger time machine. It seems like every single person in this entire thing makes every decision at the speed of plot, which is frustrating at a certain point, and makes me think back, partially trying to find justification but it does make me analyze all the things that made them go faster or slower and so many of them are either dumb implausible nonsensical or just at best suboptimal and this one i do talk up to only suboptimal if you say that they were gonna go full speed and are just waiting for the lightsaber 
it does seem like they were just tromping along for no good reason and only sped up when they were attacked, which would suggest that Thrawn's gambit, where he's supposed to, you know, take every possibility into account, accidentally hurt him, which is going to happen sometimes. You're going to gamble and lose sometimes. But it seems like sending Sabine to Ezra was a gamble that in the end hurt him. And uh, sending these fighters maybe in the end hurt him because it maybe sped them along to give them some impetus. And I don't know. It just seems like so many things are worse the more I think about them. So you're not wrong, but I, I, I you're not helping me either. So, you know, eventually you'll tell us why the show's awesome. Cut to Thrawn. A successful strike on the Jedi ship was reported before he lost contact with the flight group. Thrawn said it was an acceptable outcome. Consider the ties lost. Show me the reported location of the attack. Assuming the Jedi ship is down, uh, the options to prevent our departure are severely limited, if not impossible, which is why we prepare for a ground assault immediately. Spencer. I, I w- one little touch I did like, just a nice little bit of world building. I do what? Like I do like he took the time to uh, direct that the um, leader of the TIE fighter flight should be uh, receive a citation for his efforts. Yep. That that was just a nice little touch in conversation that felt like that was authentic. Yep. L- little bit of showing who he is. Little bit of showing. I mean, it is showing who he is. It's a, it. You can tell me how much it's that he likes honoring people and thinks that they deserve credit versus that he knows that crediting people improves morale and effectiveness if it's just pragmatic or if it's also magnanimous i don't know which but either one fits fine and is nice uh efficient character building in terms of the ground assault thing though we do not see anything from this point forward to indicate they're still loading anything or that there's any reason that they can't just float higher above the platform as they're locking to this thing and now that they've shot down the ship literally just floating an extra hundred feet as we see later would be enough to stop the uh, heroes from doing anything going forward. Jedi can jump at the height of plot. Except they can't, as we see later. No, they they totally can, as we see later. They could probably jump to the moon if they needed to hard enough. Ezra and Sabine uh, charging on the ground. Hu Yang looks down at them and says, May the Force be with you. And he starts working on the ship with the Noti. A little bit of a comic element with the Noti trying to work on the ships there. Cut to Thrawn. He has a group of volunteers. They're specifically called volunteers that were made aware. They were made aware. Elizabeth says they were all honored to make the sacrifice for you. He corrects her and says it's for the Empire. And she's like, oh, yeah, sure. Sure sure thing there, man. And the security of the galaxy. Right. I, I do like that they're going to play into a little bit of Thrawn's motivations just a bit in terms of just saying that, you know, his ultimate goal here is the security of the galaxy, you know, p- peace through force kind of thing, extra stability to the world through, the, through, the, through a closed fist. That is the philosophy the characters bring to the show. And this is a touch of it, hoping we get to see more of this because that adds into the inherent philosophical conflict that will be interesting going forward if they play it up between the freedom of the New Republic and its inefficiency and its corruption versus the lack of freedom and violence of Thrawn, but the hope of greater stability that that, that, that could bring in the future. Yeah, you could question his sincerity, but he is consistent in it being selfless, at least, that he thinks and knows that he's the best to get it all done, but that it's not for his own benefit that he's doing it. It's for the greater good. You I, you can tell me how much he's sincere in that or not, but he's consistent at least in that, and it is an interesting position. And, uh, and I'm with that. They don't seem to be playing into any hypocrisy with respect to that in the character, that he is not self-absorbed. This is not about his own aggrandizement. 
he views himself as a necessary tool to accomplish a greater goal. And I hope they stick with that. I hope they don't lean into any hypocrisy with respect that it is just about his own, you know, building up his own reputation and further worship of followers around him. That would be a a misuse of the character if they go that route. And it seems like they're sticking sticking the right way with that. And and I did actually like because uh, I I like whenever I get surprised, just like a pleasant surprise when I think something means one thing but it means something else equally good. I really thought it was just these are these stormtroopers are going to stay behind. We are abandoned. Yeah. They are holding the ground while we take off. That would have made more sense. The then we're actually planning that these people are not not good enough. They're not going to win. They're going to lose, and then they're going to turn into zombies. Spoiler. Um, that's cool too, and it was a cool surprise that there was more to it than I expected. I do think they should have taken the heck off, but the zombie thing was just a neat. That they knew they they were di- not just being left behind, but they knew they were dying and going to be used for a purpose. Z- zombies is a fun visual twist, but I'm really with you that I would have strongly preferred if it was just that. No, these guys are just going to hold the line and make sure they can't get through. That they're going to maintain a very fixed, fortified position that our heroes can't get past. It's just a lockdown point, and they're willing to do that and stay behind to make sure that our mission is accomplished. Wait, that would have been our Thrawn is making defenses that are easy to get through. Our Thrawn, what? I'm shocked. This is my shock face. Literally, if these guys had just stayed at the stop top of the stairs, what could our heroes have done? It's like if they'd done almost anything more than Russian, a lot of this would not have been able to happen. So one thing about the Disney Thrawn, as opposed to the Legends Thrawn, is it seems like they're writing the Disney Thrawn so far uh, to be a little bit less. Um, evil, uh, a little bit less okay with like, ah, just wipe out the planet or, you know, like these, these large scale murders and things. We just don't have a lot of examples in current canon yeah. of Thrawn doing that. And I hope that they continue in that vein and continue to contrast his leadership style and what he wants to accomplish, which is order, stability, a government people can count on that is competent against the clusterfuck that is the New Republic so far. Because I think it would be more interesting. Star Wars has always been a story where there's clear good, go- clear good guys and bad guys. Very clear. Emperor bad, Yoda good. Easy. It'd be kind of interesting if in this new uh, movie or movie, multiple movies that Filoni's doing, it became a little more difficult to tell. Um, I'm not saying make Thrawn a good guy, but I'm saying at least have some sympathy for, oh, I get why he is trying to take over the new, he, I get why he's trying to take things over now. And it's not predicated on like, I just want power and I'm evil and I'm terrible. There's actually a justification behind it that I can understand. I may not agree with it, but I get it. That would be more interesting to me when they set the air of the empire movie up. Uh, I would be okay with it. They don't take it too far. I feel like Disney has had a mis kind of a, a weird decision in a lot of their films they've been doing lately of where all of the villains are misunderstood and aren't really villains to some degree or whatever else. And I think it's like they've been going too far with that. Some of the best characters in the Star Wars have been the villains, and they've been villains. And they've been remarkably compelling in their role of villains and being doing some very evil things in that regard. You can have a character that is nuanced, that has complex, complicated, compelling kind of motivations associated with them, and still them have them be a dyed-in-the-wool bad guy and antagonist of the overall series. So I'm with you. I'm but I it doesn't, like they, it doesn't sound like you are, and that's okay. It's okay to be to prefer a traditional villain to what I'm what I'm espousing. Like that would but, be okay. It's just a difference in what you want to watch. But I feel like Thrawn in the legacy straddled that line well, of where he was a lighter shade of black. He was sure, sure. 
he he was a more a less evil addition to the Empire in a way that we previously seen as being the torchbearers. And I, I don't want to lose too much of that in terms of uh, taking the character going forward. Jamie, you've had your hand up for a while. Well, I was going to say, I, I like that idea, and I would enjoy that. I doubt it will happen. And I doubt it will happen because, at the end of the day, it is still Disney. And I'm looking at what Disney has done with other media that have mixed anti, I, you know, not an anti-hero, but like an anti-villain or a sympathetic villain or a villain who has a philosophy that makes sense. And the one that will always, for the rest of my life, come to mind is Killmonger, who Killmonger has a lot of really good points in Black Panther. And it seems like they throw in a line in the middle about how he's going to kill kids, too, out of nowhere, kind of just so that you can no longer say that he's right or no longer say he's a good guy or misunderstood. He's a bad guy because he's going to do that, too. And that's true. You can't paint him as a good guy with that. But if you had skipped that one line that was kind of out of character and out of the blue, the rest of it, you'd have a hard time saying what he was wrong on in a lot of things. It, it was interesting, but they had to still make it black and white. I worry that that's what they would do here, where they do what Lee is saying and give us a really nuanced thing, but then have him blow up a random planet just so that it is still a correct answer of if he's a good guy or not. And, and I'll be disappointed if that happens, but that's my expectation. Ahsoka, Sabine, and Ezra get to the Chimera. She asks, who yang, how it's going? It's not going well. Ahsoka asks Ezra what they're up against, and we get a little backstory that we didn't get in previous episodes, which is like, Ezra seems to know that Thrawn found this place, worked with the witches, rebuilt his starship, and and for Ezra, he he deemed it not safe to come there alone. Ahsoka's like, you're not alone anymore, and off they go toward the front door. Cut to Thrawn, who has a read on them. Rain hellfire on them. There would be no negotiating with the apprentice of Anakin Skywalker. And then the Chimera starts shooting at them. I kind of like that he he has view he his decisions on how to approach these folks are really now skewed through the fact that he's really latched onto this concept that she's Anakin's apprentice and she will. There's no negotiating with her. There's no middle ground. She's going to keep coming. She's going to come in the front door. And it seems like that's kind of what she does. So uh, I think that's may not work for you, but I think that's what they're going for here. Jamie? Did none of their guns point in the area near the front door um, or in a straight line or on the road or accurately or in front of their target instead of behind their target? Because I feel like these are the elite troopers with the elite ship. And there's a lot of shooting at things that are 200 feet to the right and left. Uh, uh, James, I'm straight there with you. I, I, I remember distinctly how much I liked the visual in New Hope of where the triple laser batteries were like, you know, anti-aircraft guns in World War II, of where they were moving them around and shifting them and tracking fighters with respect to them. These come across more like they're the broadside of a wood, of a, of a, of a wooden sailing ship of where, no, no, the cannon points that way, and that's all we can really do with respect to it, because they seem to be just firing straight down. Though I do like that at the end of where our heroes dodge them because they're not really aiming at them. Thrawn looks pissed and like he's about to go fire his turbo laser fire battery director. I, 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 I wanted to hear you all take on that because you've talked about how he doesn't really show facial expressions very often. And that was having remembered you all say that. And then watching him in that moment of him being mad, maybe, maybe scared, maybe frustrated, may, maybe disappointed. Maybe, I don't know what it was very interesting, but, um, are, we're going to prepare for a ground assault. How? 
by doing nothing outside of our walls. We're in our fortified base, and we're not going to set any traps, dig any holes, or, like, point our guns in the right direction. Because, okay, digging holes, inefficient use, they don't have time for that. They could point their guns near the front door. Yeah, a get, little. Get, get some sandbags and an e-web. We know you can do this. Just, like, make a fixed position somewhere. <laughs> or close a door. Like, so you, we know you've got doors. Yeah, everything inside would have been fixed. One door that doesn't open, one door that's actually, like, padlocked, or just pour some damn concrete real fast. Anything like that would have stopped the entire thing. The idea that a door that you can't open with a blaster and the force, which maybe that's hard. Maybe it's hard to make a door that doesn't open with the force, but, like, a wall. A wall would have stopped the entire thing. We see that there's a whole series of blast doors going up. If you just locked every one of them, you have to cut through them. That would have taken longer than sending stormtroopers to die, and just in a human wave kind of rush tactic. Lee, can you defend any any even small part of this for us, please? Because I'd love to have good feelings about any part of Thrawn's defensive strategy. You, I mean, you guys are frustrated that blasters missed our heroes. This is fucking Star Wars. Like, I don't know what to tell you guys. Yeah, they were shooting at our heroes and they missed. It's in every single part of the media. Um, you, you can make it right. believable in a way they're not trying here. You could okay. offer some justification I mean, that, that they're not trying for here. That, okay. Let us let us look at what happens when a surprise attack from the rebels against the Death Star happens. They come in and a lot of guns train on them and they are clearly moving in evasive maneuvers and still almost all of them get shot down. And yes, the one that needs to get through, he has plot armor, he has the force, whatever, but it, they're not completely ineffectual and that's even a surprise. This is, we know the exact path they're taking. They're on horses. You're, you're in spaceships and they're on horses and they can outrun you because you can look at them. You can just fucking look at them. You don't need tracking computers to hit a horse. The horse is big. If you hit the horse, the rider falls off. That's basic horse fighting. Basic and, horse fighting. Can't do that. I mean, it, it's like, sure, Luke survives the Death Star, the Death Star run in New Hope. But the 27 of the other 30 fighters don't. R2 gets blown up. He only survives because Han comes back for a surprise attack that scares off the bad guys. You can demonstrate danger in a way your heroes survive, even though they survive. Whereas here, as said, they're riding wolves through an open battlefield with no cover, and they get through fine and then practically waltz up the tower through elite troops, despite the fact that they're set up to provide some defense. It's not that I'm mad that they didn't get hit because they have to get there for the plot to happen. Like there's the there's a joke on 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 um you know uh, movie pitches of well how does that happen? Well, why does this happen? Oh, so the movie can happen. Oh, okay. Well then let's do that then. Like okay, you got to do whatever you have to do to make the movie happen. But the idea that Thrawn was still just shooting at open fields two hundred feet to their left. Why was he doing that in both directions at the same time? Those extra shots at random just show that he wasn't aiming at all. Like, what? Why? Why was he so incompetent at making any defense? That's what I want. I, I want some kind of justification that his attempt at defense was not piss poor. Or if, if, you, or if you want to set up they need to get through to the tower, don't have their ship shot down earlier. Have it make like a suicide crash run here and then get wrecked and then stuck so they can desperately make it to the tower in time. Because at least I can buy a ship dodging turbulators rather than good boys running through a field. 
Ahsoka and Ezra both use the force to open the gate. Uh, Ahsoka asks Sabine to help out. Uh, did you all, when you watched that scene, have a sense that Sabine did anything there, yes or no? Or were we supposed to think she did? I did I not. didn't see it. I thought that she tried. And in the idea that every force flows through everybody, you know, maybe she helped. But she helped the same way that a 100-pound weightlifter would have their five-year-old help. Like, okay, technically you took two pounds off of this, but you didn't really help. I, I took this as that. Maybe she influenced the midichlorians a little bit, but she didn't Jamie, do much. Jamie, you're suggesting this is the kind of moment of when you're, you want your kid to be feel like they're being included, so they help you carry something by just kind of putting one hand on it as you go up the stairs, but they feel really special that they were part of it. And technically, they're not unhelping. Technically, they're taking some of the weight, but not ba- barely enough to make it worth them lifting their hand. I kind of appreciated, like, in the, some of these early scenes, there was Ahsoka was very quick to say, Ezra, with me, Ezra, help. Ezra, do this. She she wasn't always, like, <laughs> immediately asking Sabine to help with when when it was, like, really dangerous, right? Like, when the, the ship is going to fall on the Noti, right? Like, it's going to happen. She she gets serious, and she says, Ezra, I need your help. Like, right. it, 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 she she very clearly has a hierarchy of where people are in their training. Wait, are, are you saying that Ahsoka doesn't trust the Force? Shouldn't the Force be enough in anybody? Shouldn't she just trust the Force? I, know, I can tell that uh, Ezra, he last remember last episode, the Force is all I need, and then we start this episode with, I'm building the fucking lightsaber. What? The Force is all I need, and then like eight seconds later, the man's got a lightsaber or a gun. It's like, that lasted for <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he tossed that idea. And actually, if they were going for, Ezra had the idea of like, I'll fight with the Force, and then like figured out like that was a dumb idea, that would be very much in character with his but Rebels character. I would have. Very much. I was actually so hopeful for that moment in the last episode that I would finally get like, you know, the Yoda kind of character I wanted of where someone was like, no, the Force is a is a, something I can just use to maintain this fight scene. I can use the Force as part of, you know, the remarkable ability it's capable of to actually demonstrate that I'm a freaking wizard. Because yeah. I'm a space wizard. And then five seconds later, it's like, no, give the guy a gun. So, yeah, I, I, so I, I told that to Lee. Like, the idea that you can punch someone with a Force. If the Force can lift a ship, it can knock somebody's teeth in. Like, I would love it if he were throwing punches and they were landing 50 feet away because he's actually just using the Force to knock people's teeth in <laughs> or pull things out of the sky. If he was... Doing that, that would be great. And and if you wanted him to do what he did here, I was so frustrated with the, the line because now it's going to be a joke to me forever. I don't need blasters. Oh, so anyway, I start blasting. He could have just said, no, oh, it's sunny. if he just said, you know, you need those more than I do, or I think you need both of those more than I do. That would have been enough. It would have been fine. Him saying, like, I'll carry my own, and I don't think you can without all your weapons, so keep all your weapons. And once there's a free one, I'll use one. That would have ah. – that seems like such a missed opportunity for me because it would have so much justified Thrawn's just making to just leave Ezra alone if the troopers arrive and suddenly Ezra, who's had like 10 years to meditate like Yoda and become a freaking Jedi counselor god of the force, uses all the Nodi shells like a very aggressive shell game to just crush and knock over some troopers like a, a proper space wizard he can be. So it's like, oh shit, that's why he's not sending it everybody, because this guy's now become very, very powerful in the force. That would have been so good. If he I mean, yeah, if he took the shells and was like, You think these are defensive? Well, guess what guess what monkeys do with shells when they find a snail? Crack, 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 and just like use it picking them up, turning them upside down and just crushing them like it, ants. That and, would have been cool. 
And if they, I, I don't know, and Lee, I legitimately don't know anything about how powerful Ezra in the Force or whether he is that kind of Jedi Counselor style of using the Force, but then if you'd set him up in that way, so much of the rest of this could work, because suddenly they're like, no, we have something that is just legitimately powerful that can just up in the game, rather than we've got somebody that's in the exact same frame of reference of us with respect to Force abilities and focusing on using a lightsaber. Yeah, I mean, Ezra... Part of the reason I really don't like the Ezra character, and I wasn't happy that he was introduced in Rebels and was really the focal point of Rebels, is he undercuts Luke's journey a lot because he's introduced before Luke. He lives, clearly, through Episode 4, 5, and 6, and we're told all through Episode 4, 5, and 6 is the last Jedi, is the last hope, is the last guy. And it's like, well, not really. I mean, there's fucking just some guy from fucking Lothal who was so strong in the force that he could be trained relatively quickly by Kane. And it makes you think like, there's probably like a million Ezra's out there. It, it, it doesn't, it, it makes what Luke did feel less special to me. So I've never loved the Ezra character. Although the idea of Ezra and Luke teaming up to fight Thrawn, that'll be kind of fun. Well, see, see, he's not a real, he's not a real Jedi. He's a Boken Jedi, which is about when something's broken a little bit, when Luke's more like, a Jedi who was not brought up in the Jedi Temple, but his master still repaired what was broken on him, as if with gold, that you would melt between the different pieces. Of well, the can't, can't, what's can't that called the name again? Of it? Can't remember the name of it. Maybe can't Spencer Sugi, can, can, did, did Spencer that word, yeah. Google, can he quit Google for me, please? Mm. Give me the answer. I'll, I'll, I'll check. One second, yes. Dash shall DIY. DIY, that's what it's called. I shall inform the great mothers that it's time. Then we see the troopers who volunteer close in on Ahsoka Ezra Spine. Ahsoka does love a good pose, doesn't she? She boy three or four times in this series. So they tell us a good pose. Ahsoka mm-hmm. tells Sabine to use her blasters, which, you know, I think is smart because she's got thirty years of using blasters and clearly isn't that great with a lightsaber. This is Ahsoka I remember. She both she fights with both of these lightsabers rolling. She seems relatively um uh, at a power level above the people around her, uh, it, it felt like I was watching the Ahsoka that I know, which is like, you know, um, I always was, I always fantasy book our Star Wars heroes, and I, I always had trouble finding somebody in my head that I thought Ahsoka could handle Ahsoka. Now apparently it's Balin, but like I always, when I got watched her fight scenes, I always had the impression that she could kick anybody's ass, and you kind of get a little bit of that here. Ezra's also really good though, and I like to see that if he's going to stick around. And then all the troopers die. Yeah, I, it, it actually made me kind of briefly think of the Matrix hallway scene of, you know, she, she's like really, really good. She's really good defensive and just nobody can stop her. And she has an ally who's really good, too, but she is just an unstoppable force. I, I, I mean, that is a compliment, actually, the scene at all, really. It, it is very Matrix hallway to a degree of where they're like, there's actually too many corpses here. <laughs> like, there's to a point of where they're actually the corpses are piled on each other. There's a number of people they kill in that kind of space. Well, and and I'm, I think I would have had that thought, but about three seconds later, the corpses serve a purpose. So I was definitely okay with it still. There are zombies. But the main thing is the corpses, because the troopers tried to charge them, are now at the bottom of the staircase behind our heroes and are now going to chase our heroes up through the defense they could have set up because they are all now behind them. Big long fight scene here, um, and uh, after the zombie troopers come about, and then we get the ISI unlock into the ship. Elsbeth tells them they're ready to depart. Thrawn says the Jedi are advancing swiftly. At that rate, they may get on the ship, which may be problematic. We need a little more time. He basically dispatches Elsbeth to do something about it. She says, I understand. He says, for the Empire, 
she says, um, for Dathomir. So Jamie's got his hand up. I'll get to you in just a second. I just want to make one, one point here, which is that, well, I, I, I love that she under her breast says for Dathomir because that was she nice does get, we get the, imp- we get, we get her motivation, right? But yeah. I, it's, you, one thing you will not see, go back to all the Disney Thrawn material, just all four books, read them all. You will never hear Thrawn say for the Empire. Doesn't happen. He doesn't say it. So a lot of people have come about and said, well, this is really inconsistent. We have this character that Timothy's on his writing. And he never says this thing. And now he says it like three or four times in the span of a couple minutes. I like the idea. I'm doing the Jamie. I'm writer's room now. But I like the idea that he was he was not doing this for the Empire when the Empire was led by Palpatine. He was continuing to grow his influence in the empire to marshal resources, to protect the outer rim, to protect the Chiss, to advance his agenda. But now that Palpatine is gone and he can lead this thing, the concept of for the empire is a palatable thing for him to be saying because Palpatine isn't at the head of it anymore. I kind of like that. I kind of like that concept to blatantly steal from a different TV show I'm watching. um, It seems like from what you all have said that when he was with under the emperor, he was, an admiral who went along with the empire as much as he could kind of thing. And now he can remake the empire to be exactly what he thinks it should be. So he's really all for it now, even if still assuming that he's not meaning for himself, that he's not selfish, but now the empire doesn't have to go in stupid, wasteful, harmful in his mind, evil directions. It can only go in good directions. Upgrades. And I, I will also endorse that this is a moment I liked for two reasons. I'm perfectly okay with him saying for the Empire. I don't think that's inconsistent with the character. If for no other reason that he's using it as marketing here, he's selling it to other people. Whether he believes it or not, he's perfectly willing to say that for you, I am giving you a cause to die for. I he would just think in lo- four books he might say it once. He might. He might. Um the other thing I do like, I, something I've talked about before, I really do like that they've been doing with respect to the show is that characters serving a common cause, but for different motivations that always don't perfectly overlap and have a certain degree of friction between them. So setting up a certain element here for in a way that I'm expecting they will do going forward, that the cause of for Dathomir does not necessarily cause of for the Empire is something I perfectly appreciate. Okay. So. This is something that I think I misunderstood something when I was watching, or I'm hoping, because it's, it's something seemed inconsistent. And so this is me complaining, but I'm really hoping that you can explain it to me. They say, like in the same breath, we are ready to depart. We need more time. Those seem like opposites. I was bothered. If they're ready for depart, why don't they depart? Why don't they take off now? Because this is I kind of the first that... moment when I realized they've had time What are they doing? Why are they walking? Why aren't they jogging? Why aren't they already in the air? So what do they mean? We're ready to depart, but we need more time. This feels very much like, you know, set up an example from the New Hope. Yeah. Why isn't the Death Star blowing up the planet Yavin? Oh, it has to rotate around the gas giant and then it needs to power. And so we see those physical signs of having to rotate around, of having the power necessarily go up. So we have an explanation and attention associated with those. If they had just had some gauge on the screen at some point saying, well, we got to get our power reserves going because the ship's been beat all to shit for all of this time, or we got to load these extra coffins because then we need this time associated with that. 
God, so much would have been that much more palpable to me for why they aren't floating higher or why they aren't moving faster. Okay, Give me those I, visual I will, signs. I, I, I can accept that. I can, I can also accept the choice of having that happen off screen. So I'm, go, I'm going to, in my brain, kind of rewrite where they say, we're almost ready to go, or we're virtually ready to go. And they really mean we're imminently ready to go. Like, we're going to be in the air in seconds, in minutes. I, I accept that. Okay, fine. They, they had... It wasn't say the word and then we take off, but they were virtually ready to go. Fine. Okay. It's a a diesel engine on a Star Destroyer. It needs time to get going. All right. Sure. Cut to uh, Ahsoka and team running up some steps. Then we see a door blast open and more troops follow. Ezra closes the door behind them as they run. Ahsoka sees we get just basically always chasing here. Um, Ahsoka and Elspeth say they'll... um, Sees Elspeth and says she'll handle it. She sends Ezra and Sabine around her to go to Thrawn, tent scene, and then we have a fight scene with Ahsoka and Elspeth. Uh, okay, got multiple hands here. I'm going to go Jamie first. So, first of all, and this is another place where I noticed a small bomb in that stairwell, not even to try to trap them and kill them, but blow the bomb up in advance so that the stairs fall with rubble, would have stopped the whole thing. You could just destroy the stairs behind you. He's clearly okay destroying the temple behind him. So why didn't you just blow up the stupid stairway? I'm very frustrated by his lack of ever stopping them with any physical barrier. And I think that's just, you yeah. know, they can, they can move rocks. They have the force. They open doors. So really, you couldn't make a physical barrier. They couldn't move out of the way. Maybe. That's the best excuse I can come up with. Just use one of those extra minds that you had so many of to confront the space whales with. Apparently, your resources aren't so limited with explosives that you can't just fill an entire solar system with mines to do with space whales, just keep a couple in the hallway, and suddenly there's nothing they can get past. No, see, those only work on space whales. They don't actually work on, like, rocks. They're only space whale. They also blew up on a ship that came out of a space whale, and it wasn't still smelling like space whale at the time. It, okay, first of all, do you have any idea how long it takes to get space whale smell out? It's a long time. Dude, that melange that, smell is just they, rough. They only home on space whale musk. That was a very unique research opportunity the Empire explored there for a certain period of just being drawn to space while Musk. It was a very difficult budget item to justify, but Thrawn was so glad they got that funding through. So that's my first frustration, which I don't think there is an answer for. Um, Or the best answer is any physical barrier you put up, a door, they show that they can unlock and open doors using the Force. So rocks, they could have moved the rocks, whatever. Uh, then the second thing, they're here for the sword fight, and she says, I'll handle the sword fight. You two go after Thrawn. Morgan Elspeth has been sent here to slow them all down and not let any of them get on the ship. And clearly, Ahsoka wants to take her one-on-one. Does not want them to try to dispatch three-on-one. Does not think that three-on-one will be a quick win where they can then all run on. Wants to send two of them on to go get Thrawn. And Morgan Elspeth says, that's fine. I was really when he when Thrawn said stop them and don't let them on, he really only meant only Ahsoka. And since Ahsoka wants the other two to move on, clearly I should definitely do the thing that Ahsoka told me wants to have happen, and not the thing that Thrawn wants to have happen. I should have a one-on-one fight and let the other two just get on the ship. They, they're fine. They're 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 with me. They're fine. What? My- I'm straight, I'm straight there with you on that. I I did not get to any degree. It's like your mission is to stop. Them. All of them. All Not Ahsoka. Them. And she just target focuses Ahsoka and makes no effort to even address the two people that then run past her to go up the stairs. So right now in this moment, 
talking to you, I have a justification. And it is, she is not Thrawn. She is a person who takes things personally and gets emotional and is perhaps petty. And she hates Ahsoka. This might just be that she sees Ahsoka as the threat and she wants to kill Ahsoka. Maybe. I don't like that justification, but it, it's plausible in her character. But you are still letting two of them through, one of which you know is been a thorn in Thrawn's side for 20 years, so is clearly a capable enough threat that it's important to Thrawn that he not come along. And you're letting him through behind you without a second glance. One thing to remember is that Ahsoka did fight Elsbeth in season two of Mandalorian, and Elsbeth lost. So I think that like when Thrawn's like, hey, I need you to go handle all three of these people that include Ahsoka in that, that's why you got like the sort of like big gulp from Elsbeth because she was like, well, I don't stand a chance doing that. And she knew she was sort of going to her death. So I don't think she felt like she could handle all three of them. I think that she felt like uh, even delaying Ahsoka might be past what she was able to do. I like that. And I wish we knew enough about her power up to know if that's accurate or not, because if she hadn't gotten a power up in this episode, then I think that you're right. Um, I took it as she has a power up and can, plausibly fight and win against these three but she's being left behind with no way to follow so she's being abandoned and that's what the cost is was what i took as i've often said i don't mind the hand wave so long as you give me the hand wave and if they just set up one scene that she's still bearing a grudge and is looking for revenge and a rematch against ahsoka for beating her back in mandalorian and just wants to target focus on her for that reason i'm with you i could do that but we don't get to spend enough time with this character to find out that she has motivations like that or reasons that she would seek revenge or focus on this character. At least that's not previously established. And on the subject of doors, Star Wars has built such an effort previously that doors are actually a barrier. Like, you know, Phantom Menace. Qui-Gon has to spend a significant period of time in the opening scenes of the movie trying to cut through a blast door because it's a freaking door he can't get through really quickly. And he's even melting with his lightsaber. In, um... Return of the Jedi, the blast door that prevents them from getting through the shield generator stops them for like 20 minutes of the fight scene at the end of that film because it's a locked door. It's a problem, even with all the technology they have. So I, I'm not willing to buy that doors aren't an obstacle. They use doors in this episode to stop the stormtroopers from coming up later. So stormtroopers don't have the force. We've addressed the different Jedi have different special powers. Maybe Ezra's a portal mage. Maybe doors are his thing. Not that we ever see. <laughs> Look, I I can hand wave like a Jedi. I can hand wave like a boss. I can. No, I I mean, I think you're right. I'm still mad that they didn't just close the door with a deadbolt. It's, like, it's like if Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, if a blast door is enough to stop them, I have a hard time believing these guys are going get, to get through that door that much faster. Okay, so uh, we got a fight scene with Elspeth and Ahsoka. What did y'all think of the fight scene with Elspeth and Ahsoka? Because there was a little chatter about that at the beginning. I said y'all were going to punt that and talk about that conversation here. Let's let's uh, let's talk about Elspeth v Ahsoka round two. Uh, I mean, as I previously said, Miss Inosanto can fight, and she can visibly fight very well. And I think she adds a very wonderful degree of movement to this fight scene that comes across as intimidating for what little time it occurs in. I wish that there'd been more focus on this. I wish there had more breathing room with respect to this because she visibly can fight well in a way that is exciting and adds a different element to it, particularly just even a different style than we've seen a lot going into the fights. Rosario Dawson 
can't fight as well. Um, and I've, I've kind of noticed that increasingly over the course of her fights. I think she does better than the actress who plays Sabine does because she really can't fight that well in a lot of the scenes that she's in. But I think just based on the fact that, that it's filmed relatively well and Ms. Santo could fight quite well, that it worked for me rather well and just in terms of um, a, a visual degree of spectacle in the middle of this episode. So this part, I agree. I don't have anything much to say because I think it was well done and I enjoyed it. When I was saying I had opinions, I want to get to it. It's it's a little bit later where all the stormtroopers are surrounding her and the stormtroopers are like, should I be shooting? Standing play. Uh, No. Should I have my gun at the ready, like pointed at her in case she wins? No. Should I? Yeah. Not to get too, too far ahead in this, but when another person shows up and now there's two enemies and our special sword fighter now seems afraid. Should now I start shooting? No, now I should just run away. Uh, it was, that was really frustrating. The fact that she, um, I, I did not like that Morgan Elspeth seemed to be doing so well and winning against one. And then when the semi-competent apprentice also shows up, it feels like a rout where now all of a sudden she gives up, can't win and the stormtroopers are just there for um, to view the downfall of every competent villain. I don't know. That's so part of the there was this. Out. There was a the the fight scene with Anakin and Ahsoka when Anakin had flipped into the dark side. Ahsoka was losing that fight and was only able to win by using Anakin's momentum against him. Anakin like moved in a particular way. She used that momentum to come back to put a sword to his throat. She judoed that shit. Yes. Yeah. That she does the same exact thing with Elsbeth. She uses Elsbeth momentum against her to be able to to swing and cut her in half or whatever. I think they were going for she had learned something in that fight with Anakin that helped her um, in this fight. If I have to explain it to you, then it didn't work. But I think that's what they were going for. Again, I'm okay with the fight between the two of them. I'm straight there with Jamie that the stormtroopers are almost an unnecessary distraction for how little they contribute. Yeah, the, the stormtroopers being there. Just put that as a tagline for all of Star Wars. <laughs> well, yeah, Again, that was not always the case. It's just getting worse. It, it's getting worse. Like, what were they doing there? Why did they act the way they did? Doesn't make any sense. And why did Morgan Elspeth uh, act the way? Her reaction to Sabine, where she let her pass in the first place and then seemed almost intimidated by having to face both of them at once at the end, those are the parts that make no sense. The parts where she's actually fighting with Ahsoka, I liked. And the ending where Ahsoka wins, I also liked. I am frustrated that a really cool, unique character with a backstory worth exploring and a sword that got named and power-ups that were not well explained. And I'm still not clear whether they made her a better sword fighter or a better anything. I don't know. That that feels wasted. So I'm upset that they wasted all that potential building. Are you saying that a character they've actually created in the TV shows that is interested and compelling and has a backstory and a philosophical motivation that you want to see spend more time with and actually be a focus may actually be wasted in favor of legacy characters that aren't as interesting and actually have serious problems that aren't really addressed? Are you, and I in any way suggesting by my tone that I think that applies to other characters even within the context of this show. Uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Our Disney, our Disney? Our Disney would do that? No, surely not. Thrawn says, take us out. Get <laughs> to more fight scenes. 
especially the zombie troopers. Sorry, sorry. Lee, Lee keeping us on task and having no defense that's worth saying, at least. I'm sure he has defense, because I know he's not as unhappy as we are, and he doesn't want to be unhappy. But I, I feel bad. Every time that Lee has nothing to add, I feel like we broke his heart on that scene, and, and we're just moving on before we can break it any further. And I'm so sorry. I want you to tell me that these are awesome, and I want you, me to tell you that you're right. Over and over again, I want that. Don't, 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 no, be the villain. Embrace the hate. Don't be nuanced. This is you're, a black and white universe, and we are the black. Look, I'm the one who, I'm the one who says that the balanced force has light and dark. You're the one who says that a balanced force is just the light side of the force. Just the light. Just the light. That's I what tolerate no gray Jedi here, and I will not see it out of you. Look, I, all I'm saying is if I go to my computer screen and I turn brightness up to 100, that's poorly balanced, sir. And there's no movie showing. There's just I'm blind. That's the sun. The sun's not balanced. The sun's fire. Got more fight with the zombie troopers. One almost gets Sabine, but Sabine is able to use the force to get her lightsaber up. And then she says, Everett, these troopers that are fighting um, Sabine and Ezra on this platform, they if you notice, they have a little bit different armor. Those are called purge troopers. They're from the Fallen Order game, and they are stormtroopers that are specifically trained to fight Jedi, and they have Beskar armor. And my understanding from the Thrawn lore that Disney has incorporated is that Thrawn was very greedy with the Purge Trooper resource because of his distrust of Jedi and not liking to deal with them. So if there's a specialty unit that is developed to fight Jedi, he would be all fucking about it. So I love that, and that makes sense. I I thought they were just like special zombies because he kept shooting them in the head and they kept going. And so I thought that was the zombie powers. It being, they've got a Beskar helmet and your yep. little blaster, even at point black range, is just not getting through. I buy that. And then they, I like, that makes me like the scene a lot more. See, you're helping me like a scene more. It, we can get how I don't like it in a moment, but yeah, I like it even more now. Thank you. It, I did like the addition of these characters to the point. I was like, there should have just been these guys. Like, four or five of these guys should have been it and none of the rest of the Stormtroopers because they are successful and intimidating and have a certain, like, gravitas just due to their Terminator relentlessness in a way that's never achieved for anybody else other than Morgan Elspeth. I'm focusing on Stormtroopers here. But So, I, he might have only had the two. Like, he talks about how he he didn't come with... I'm talking about the show, not the oh, actor. It would have been cool. You would have liked it if they if, had. If, okay. if there had just been four of these guys holding the stairs, an elite crew that have volunteered to stay behind, undead that they are, but the most diehard loyalists of Thrawn will serve him forever, now abandoned on this planet, these four guys with Elspeth there in front of them, that would have been a lot more interesting to me and more compelling than the 45 stormtroopers that are just there to watch. So, I liked that she was able to use the Force in this desperate moment. I liked it. And it was a relatively small Force use and a one that we've seen people do when they're in desperate situations. You know, the first time in Star Wars that an object was moved via the Force was Luke in Episode 5 pulling his lightsaber in the snow. That was not a thing the Force could do, as far as the audience knew, in the entirety of A New Hope. He was in a desperate situation. He had been done doing some training on his own, and he was able to do it. For all we know, that was the first time Luke ever moved something with the Force. Maybe. So I, I liked that. It's a callback. It's a desperate moment. They treated it, though, as if she 
had a breakthrough and now she just is a force user and she's connected and now she's strong and now she trusts and knows that she can do it. So now she can do it whenever she wants, which I hate. I love that she's still weak in the force, but when her back's completely against the wall, she has some depths that she can pull out of, not at will, but in those especially powerful moments. Like Jamie, like a character that may have a block on using their magical ability, a block on that ability that might last for, I don't know, seven books. I don't know, something like that. And then like, a, a, woo, oh, yeah. oh, all of a sudden I can use it now. And there's a big breakthrough. Uh, yeah, I think there's a precedent if, for that in fantasy. If, if you had that kind of a semi-block where everyone has the force, but she can't really use it, and she finds ways to maybe when she's especially emotional or angry or like scared that she can, but then that's still the only time she can. The I'm actually breaking through and now just a normal user should be a bigger deal than happening without any comment and everybody just accepts it and she assumes that it'll work forever now. And yes, we are talking about Wheel of Time, which there might be another podcast for it that everyone who's listening to this should go listen to and also go read the books and also go watch season two. Uh Jamie, I'm straight there with you. I'm glad you pointed out because this was something that rubbed me a bit wrong before. I really liked the moment when she's able to use the force there. That was a great callback to uh, Empire Strikes Back and Luke in the Wampa Cave and pulling things up there. That was an intentional callback in my mind. And it was a nice breakthrough for the character for how much she struggled through with respect to that. The fact that in the next scene, she's then able to force throw Ezra across the sky. It's like, okay. I wanted you to go Luke. Instead, you went Ray for how you're portraying the Force. Because th- this reminded me of straight up just that, okay, Ray can't use the Force. Then Ray uses the Force. Then Ray's just a Jedi going forward. I don't like that in terms of how you're showing and portraying this about this. It, I would much prefer if there is an effort of learning and a struggle and a growth with respect to it rather than just a sudden, now we're switched to work. I read that the slingshot scene was a homage to Back to the Future. I haven't seen that movie, but is that in Back to the Future at all? No. What? That there's some sort of scene in Back to the Future where well, one slingshots another or something. I don't know. Uh, so, so in Back no. to the Future, they make somebody go fast in one of them by, like, hooking their car up to a chain and, like, throwing the car, right? Or something like that. Am I misremembering that? Like. They, no. they, I don't know. It's been in like pretty major publications that that's a that's a reference to that movie. Back to the Future Three, they put, attach the car to a train to a train and throw the train off a bridge so that the gravity pulls the train even faster, and then the thing goes fast. Maybe maybe they're talking about the slingshot of that. I I, I I have no clue what slingshot they're talking about because there's none in the original Back to the Future that I can remember to what degree, and then other than yeah the train, but that's not a slingshot. So but it's a yeah I'll I'll, I'll be curious I'll, to look up what they're referencing. Also, nobody references Back to the Future 3. I'm not even necessarily saying it's bad. It's just kind of forgettable. It's, it's, back, to it's the, back to the Future 1, Back to the Future... No, actually, I think I may like 3 better than 2. 2 has problems. Uh, I mean, do you remember Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, where they go into feudal Japan? You kind of do, but not really. Like it, It's that. Isn't 2 Secret of the Use? It is. I mean, you remember that, because that has the baby wolf and the baby turtle... Who are monsters and they're wonderful and I love them so. That much. one's so good. I like that one. It a lot. was. So the, yeah, we got the slingshot scene. Two is so good. Um, good trilogies. Some hit or miss. Ezra makes the jump, gets up, kills the troopers there. He tells her it's her turn. She goes to do the jump, but we see Ahsoka fighting. She turns, she runs, and we get a cutaway. Go. So okay, I know the stormtroopers are supposed to be ineffectual, but you see two stormtroopers just looking at them like 
Should we shoot them? They're the people we've been told to kill. Nah, we're conserving laser bolts. Wait, that one's jumping through the air. Should we shoot at him? Nah, let's just stand here right next to the edge with no railing and just wait and see if he makes it. Oh, no, he made it. I'm so surprised. Um, were, there, were their guns broken? Were their trigger fingers broken? Were they told to conserve lasers? I don't know. Um, and practically for the characters, could one of these characters show some emotional care for each other? Like, this is the moment Sabine turns back and leaves Ebzer on the ship. Could there be some emotional connection there? Some goodbye? Some tears shed? Can you cut some onions in the, in the room with respect to any of this? Well, so Can you show anything, an emotion later with respect to the two of them that they're sad that they've got a brief moment reuniting and now it's gone? Well, that would have had to be like a sad moment later because in the moment, they were like 400 yards apart, which, you know, is just an easy Jedi jump because Jedis can jump as far as they want. But they couldn't have seen each other's faces like at that distance. So just give me a moment later where the two of them are sad. I mean, give me a moment so later where they're going to miss each other. Well, just give me a moment later could... that they it's all the worst that they got reunited briefly, but now they're separated. Well, we've addressed that time does whatever you want on this show. And then you can jump any distances. So she should have jumped over to him on her own by force pushing the planet away from herself. Then she should have had a conversation with him because talking is a free action. Mm. Then they should have had a tearful embrace. Then she should have jumped back to the planet. And then they finish loading the corpses into the ship. And then they're ready to go. Also, what does the show want us to believe about Sabine turning back to help Ahsoka? Are they framing that as being selfless or being selfish? She is, well, no, I think it's consistency. She is terrible at allowing people to make their sacrifices, and she will not leave anyone behind ever, even when it completely undermines the entire first thing that you did. So I feel like the show was framing it as being, oh, look how much she's learned. But I, I was that, like, no, actually, going with Ezra, here's the net benefit to everyone, and it's what Ahsoka told you to fucking do. Yep. But she can't follow instructions. She can't let people make sacrifices. She can't leave people behind and feel bad about herself. And she can't follow through on anything. She's the worst. But tied with Hera. Did, <laughs> how did the show want us to interpret this? I'm legitimately asking. Does the New show intro want music us? for the pod. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't sample that She's as like an intro or a, a new singer at the end, tied with Hera. I, I'll be disappointed. <laughs> I'm asking you guys, though, does the show want us to think this is character growth or, char- or character consist- or character stagnancy with respect to her choosing to go- instead go back for Ahsoka? I didn't see it as related to the Ezra thing at all. I saw it was related to the conversation that she had with Ahsoka previous where Ahsoka was like, I will not leave your side. I will stick with you. And this was her saying, I will stick with you, too. If there's any parallel to be had, I would say that it's with Ahsoka and Anakin, how Ahsoka left Anakin. And how Ezra or uh, Sabine is not going to do the same thing. Not gonna, not gonna leave her master the same way Ahsoka left her master. So I'm, I'm also gonna add in there. I can go with that guy who I don't want to have to tell what I did, or I can go with her who already gave me a pass on, you know, facilitating genocide. I'm gonna go to the place where I don't have to talk about my feelings. That sounds way easier. Again. Liam, I'm with you. I think that's what the show is going for with respect to why she's making the decision, but I feel like that just still tracks with making decisions for the sake of relationship with individual rather than doing things that are actually, you know, part, 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 of, part, 
<laughs> sure, good. But yeah. part, part, part of what's actually, you know, demonstrating some greater understanding of the situation, demonstrating that there are causes and motivations outside of your own personal, from front of your nose, you know, motivations, and committing to those, even though where they hurt you, or even though where they cost things, or even though when you're sad as a result of the inconclusion. Yeah, so I, I joke about her being like the actual villain. She's not evil, but she's selfish in a way that keeps her from ever actually being a good guy. Sabine is not good. She's not on the side of the light. She's not making selfless choices or looking out for the greater good or caring about people as a whole. She's caring about people who she values herself. She's so selfish and short-sighted and unreflective. And, and, and I hate her character so much. And don't give me what people were saying online of, oh, well, she knew that she could jump in the ship and that they would catch up with him. She has no knowledge at this point the ship's going to just miracle show up here in a second. It's from her perspective, it's go with it, go with Sook and you're stuck forever, or go with Ezra. She had, not that the ship works in the end, but I, I don't, I'm not willing to buy that she's counting on the ship just being able to get them where they need to go here in a second. Eventually, Ahsoka beats Elspeth. No shocker there. Night sisters feel it. Inform Thrawn. Morgan is dead. She has done what was required, says Thrawn. Cut to Ezra, watching the whole thing. He fakes some comms to the other trooper, takes a body, presumably to take the armor at that point. Jamie. I actually did love this part, this little part, where somebody calls and says, we're sending in troops. And I, I really, because my brain just goes in, in ruts, I expected him to say, everything's everything's good here. How, how, how are you? Or something like that. And the fact that he didn't, and he effectively kept the cover and, you know, he went and put the suit on and yeah, it, it was, it was such a throwback to episode four with Han, but he did it so effectively. And I loved that so much. It was so I fun. I, I love that. I did like that. I did. I, I still was having in this moment kind of thing of, well, come now he knows that he's left all of his friends forever. Man, is he able to successfully keep those those feelings with respect to that suppressed for the immediate immediate situation? So I I accept that because because actually of this call, he knows the reinforcements are on their way, like imminently. You do not have time for a wistful moment or a tear or even watching their fight. You need to get the dead bodies gone and get that stormtrooper armor on your body before the reinforcements arrive, because you can't stop them or it's going to be suspicious. So move. Again, I I accepted it because he was in a rush and he is not utterly incompetent and selfish. So he's at least able to compartmentalize and prioritize and be in the moment. It only is compartmentalization if at some point you show me that they care. Nah, he had a whole flight by himself. He was lonely and sad on that transport. It's fine. At some point you show me that they care. Look, if you want to watch a grown man cry, make... Lee, watch what? the sequels. Just watch, make him watch the sequels. Watch him watch the sequels. You'll see a grown man cry. It'll be fine. I would love if one person on this damn show would have enough emotional connection to someone else to cry. It really would. So I that's where Ezra Balin is. Did. I think Balin cried over Shin. His eyes were puffy. I'm calling it. He was crying off stage. Silently and manly cries. With puppy eyes and regret. Stage. Soka asks where Ezra is. Sabine going home. Soka gets a beep on her comms device as they're getting out of here. Thrawn watches all this and says, Controls have the main batteries target the fortress for bombardment open fire. So they're going to destroy that pedestal that, that they're, they're standing on. And the chime here does open fire, but we see Ahsoka and Sabine run off, jump off a cliff, 
confusing the audience, the troopers, and everybody. But ah, look at that! Hu Yang got the ship working. They jump onto the ship and they go off the while well, the entire platform is destroyed by the Chimera. Now they take the ship up into space to follow Thrawn. Thrawn washes this all, but opens a channel to Ahsoka. Ahsoka Tano, allow me to commend you on your efforts today. You have been quite a worthy opponent. I'll regret. I regret we've never had. A, we've never met face to face, and now perhaps we never shall. Still, I knew you. So I knew your master. I concluded your strategies would be similar. One wonders just how similar you might become. Perhaps this is where a Ronin, such as you, belongs. Today, victory is mine. Long live the Empire. Nice little touch there is um, something that makes me very much feel like this is the same Thrawn character. The idea that Thrawn would open a comm line to talk to her in a relatively civilized manner and inform her that he knew what her choices would be based on the fact he knew who her uh, master was. It's all very consistent with the Thrawn character. Spencer? No, I did like this. I liked it also that it's a villain gloating speech where he has actually already won. This is not gloating beforehand. This is not, you know, just monologuing so our heroes have time to defeat you. He's legitimately just sending her basically an email while he's leaving to just let you know, hey, sorry you fucked up. It was fun. I liked that. I like that it is very much in keeping in tone. It is respectful, but it is well-timed for when it occurs to have this kind of villain monologue. Uh, have we had the word Ronin used in Star Wars previously? Or is just Filoni just straight up incorporating Japanese culture and language every opportunity now? No, we've heard it before. I think it was in, uh, I, I don't know exactly where, but we've heard it. We've heard it before. Okay, well, it it, it it fits in to where Filoni's going with this, where he's incorporating a lot of aspects of Japanese culture. The term Ronin does apply well to her, and it does fit into that kind of, sam- uh, you know, samurai lore that's always been an undercurrent in Star Wars. Um, so that's interesting to have that brought in. Um, but yeah, I, I, thought it was a, I thought it was an effective monologue to have here in the moment and was well-delivered and well-timed. And... I do appreciate that our heroes do fail here, actually. I do appreciate that there isn't some last-second fix where they're able to come along, that there are repercussions from decisions that our characters have made um, and just things not perfectly falling in their favor with respect to this. I'd like if they talk about that a little bit more in the scenes that come up later, but I do appreciate that our not everything comes up straight-up win for our heroes here, and they're just straight left behind in a way that is... Real shit for them. Yeah, I mean, at some point, they have to explain why Ahsoka's not in the sequel series. So, uh, maybe, the galaxy maybe this is why. That. Maybe she's stuck on this planet. I, I don't, I don't know. That, that could be the answer. Uh, it goes into hyperspace and leaves kicking Ahsoka's ship away. Uh, Jamie. So I, I, I apologize. I just had audio problems. So if you said this in the moment I was gone, I apologize. We'll tell you. Why does he taunt them? Because. Because he can't. Da- What's that? Because again, because see here, here's the thing where I, I didn't mind it, except that from what you guys have said and what I know about Thrawn is he's not petty. He doesn't have grudges. He doesn't really relish the taunting. And this seems like a very normal kind of Wait. villain taunt, even like not super villain, cheesy taunt, like a normal kind of taunt. But he doesn't seem like the type to do that. Am I, am, see, is this that is the trouble. This is the real trouble with, and I, I felt it in my bones uh, on this podcast. I felt it. The character that's so good in the books and the book book readers are excited, and then we tell the people who haven't read the books, and the character's coming, the character's coming. 
There was zero. There was no. I don't think there was any way we could put Thrawn on screen that would not disappoint the people who had heard the hype about Thrawn. Like I, I as I listened to the sort of like sort of like complaints about his strategy and stuff, I'm left thinking there's no way that they're going to be able to write this character that people are aren't going to find some avenue where he should have done this. He could have done that better. Therefore, he's not the master technician. They said the character doesn't work for me. It's just uh, it's gotten to a point with the character with certain parts of the fandom where I just feel like we're set up for success. It's just not going to work. Spencer. Uh, well, two things. One, you can because Timothy's on has. So it can definitely be done in terms of. There are a lot of people who don't like particular books and complain about particular books. So like, let's not pretend like he wrote it perfectly. He did, but he did write it pretty damn successfully over the course of the multiple decades that he has written different aspects or different ways of portraying this character. But side point, I if I'm balancing what Thrawn's doing here between respectful and taunting, I'm doing seventy thirty in favor of respectful. I think he legitimately is actually just saying, you know, you did a good fight, you you did some impressive efforts. I'm actually acknowledging that in this moment because it costs me nothing to do so, and I'm that kind of respectful, like playing chess kind of guy with respect to this. It has an aspect of taunting because you lost, but it's more just acknowledging that your opponent has failed rather than, I think, rubbing salt in the wound in terms of what I got out of this. I felt it is a almost a handshake across the table of good game. Probably we won't have another, but in the event we do, I'll have the board ready. I I think I can accept that. and so I didn't hate it, and it, I wanted to know whether I had the character mispegged. Because I, I hear what you're saying, Lee, and I don't want to be so impossible to please on this or overhyped. Um, and he just seemed like the type who, from what you had said, who kind of would never taunt unless it had a psychological benefit to him, who just kind of wouldn't waste his attention, let alone his voice on things that had no practical benefit in the future. And it sounds like he really thinks these people are left behind. There's no way of them getting back. Um, <laughs> He lives, he, I don't think he, I think he kind of leaves the door, like Spencer said, I think he kind of leaves the door open, like, probably not going to see you again, but I don't think he knows for sure. I don't think anybody knows for sure. As a taunt, this would have been a remarkably effective in, like, episode two, because its main taunt is to tap into your, to your concerns the about master. Yes. about following the same path, whatever else. In terms of timing it, if it had been a taunt, if messages had come through, man, this would have landed a lot more effectively there. Whereas at this point, Ahsoka's already resolved all of her concerns that we can see, or at least are portrayed on screen with respect to that, and come to a more peaceful place. So if it is even intended as a taunt, it doesn't really land other than, I won, sorry. It's like if if people haven't watched The Mandalorian, and they've heard all about Baby Yoda for like fucking five years now, and then they decide, all right, I'm finally going to take the jump. I'll bet you there's a lot of those people who are going to be like, Really? Like that's it? Like that that's that that's what the hype was for this little thing? Like he's barely on screen, he doesn't do much. Like I, I, I just think that there's a way of like overhyping a character and like I'm I was probably a bit uh guilty of this, but I think it's happened enough in the community now that like I don't the live action portrayal of Thrawn, I'm 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 going to be excited for me. I'm not going to be super excited to hear how it lands with everybody, because I just don't have faith people are gonna like it. Um so we hear, hey, remember earlier in the season, I said uh, Soka had an owl, and Jamie, you yeah. hit the buzzer hard, and everybody was like, what the fuck? Hey, there's the owl. It's Morai. What? Uh, what? Why? What was the why? owl? 
how, what, what, please tell me about this owl because sure. when I saw it, I smiled because I was like, hey, that's Lee's owl. He told that's me the owl. And exa- that's how long I smiled for. And then I frowned of, what the fuck? Owls yeah. can't ride inside of whales. They'll get eaten by the whales. We talked about the whales eat the birds. How did they get here? Why is it here? It doesn't make any sense. Oh, you're not going to get an answer for that. So Mor- Morai is so in the Clone is, Wars. Is that the name? Yeah, it's Morai. So in the in the Clone Wars, uh, there's an episode, a couple episode arc where Ahsoka, Anakin, and Obi Wan go to a planet called Mortis, and at Mortis, they meet the the father, the daughter, and the son of the Force. These are the the Mortis gods, is what they were they they were for presented to us as. Mary and Malcolm. You have the daughter, who is the light side of the force, the son, who is the dark side of the force, and the father, that is the, quote, balance. I don't like this version of balance, but that's how they, they rolled with this, right? And um, during the course of the events of this episode, the son gets really mad at Ahsoka and kills her, kills Ahsoka. The son, the dark side of the force, the representation of the dark side of the force kills Ahsoka. And Anakin uh, goes to the daughter and works with the daughter to revive Ahsoka. But in doing that, the daughter has to basically breathe her life spirit into her. There's, there's been multiple examples of this, like breathe the life spirit into somebody and they keep going, right? Like, uh, let's think, um, Ice and Fire. Yeah, let's think, yeah, let's think Lady Stoneheart. All right. So after that event, Morai has, this owl has followed around Ahsoka everywhere she's gone. Fans have a million different theories as to what it is. A lot of people think it's the daughter who is continuing to ride around with her, or maybe it's just a representation that Ahsoka is now the light side of the force. She is the daughter now. I think that the, the theory that Ahsoka is the daughter now, and that's why Morai follows her around, because Morai also followed around the daughter. So that, that owl also followed around the daughter before the daughter, quote, died and breathed her spirit into Ahsoka. Because later in this episode, when we see Balin standing out on the hand of the father, there is the father, the son, and the daughter is missing, which tells me that I think they're trying to tell us that Ahsoka actually has become the representation of the light side of the force through those events. Now, at the end of that multiple episode arc, it appeared as though Anakin Ahsoka and Obi-Wan woke up from a fever dream that they were sick and they woke up from a dream and that that maybe didn't happen. And so I think what they're doing now is they're codifying that those events did in fact happen, um, which is also a revelation to the fans a little bit. So anyway, that's Morai. It's her owl. Okay. Well, that could be setting up, if they do have a second season, it could be setting up a central part of the tension between her and Balon and those statues or whatever else is embodied in this world that they're on going forward, tapping into that prior lore that they've already established. So cut to Shin, who is alone. She goes up to the bandit camp, lights her lightsaber, indicating she'll join up with them. So I will say this about I was really excited about Shin for the first three or four episodes. I feel like that the Shin character fell right the fuck off a cliff. And it I did. I feel like I was just wrong in calling what was the interesting part of the show. I, I didn't necessarily take it to being breaking the world and being upset at how they did it. I will say that I feel like the lesson maybe it didn't work for you, is that her ambition, that that this this rote ambition, this very basic, simple, I want power, I want to use the dark side of the force to give me powers to for control over people and money and power, etc. The lesson that we're seeing is that that makes one small. It makes you it makes your abilities uh it makes your 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 future trajectory 
It makes you smaller. And so she's left at the end of this thing. I I couldn't help but think anything other than the word small. It's like, really, you're going to join a group of bandits on this fucking, you know, on Peridia in another galaxy where there doesn't even seem to be civilizations around. So I guess you're just going to roam around and like, what, kill sheep? Like, it felt like a small existence for Shin that was a bit disappointing. Spencer? I'm straight there with you. I, I think that's what they're going with with respect to this, that the cost of ambition, the cost of not actually taking the time to grow things. But what was that advice that Balon gave her as his last words to her in Episode 7? It was even something along that line, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like um, wanting, basically wanting something too quickly sometimes will prevent you yeah. from getting said thing. Establish a right. foundation, actually grow, actually have your own objectives. Don't just latch onto a cause and hope everything we fixed is a result. I'm with you with respect to that. I'm also with you that Shin and Balin were the most interesting characters of the show. And I feel like after maybe maybe through episode six, I think episode six, we got a lot of like the dialogue back and forth between them about their different philosophies, whatever else. I wish these characters almost had their own show or wish that this season had been like 12 episodes. So there's more time to breathe that if that's where they're going with respect to this character, if that's the end of the arc, whether we see any more of her or whatnot going forward, who knows? That's not enough. These characters were too interesting. They had two of fascinating philosophies rolled up in respect to them and interesting directions they could go on with the characters for them to resolve in this manner. It's completely unsatisfying. We need a prequel of the two of them where they meet and he's old and grumpy and she's spunky and together they fight crime. If we'd gotten a show that was just that, I I would have found that much more interesting. I would have found that a fascinating show because it would be respected. We haven't gotten that much in Star Wars of where two gray Jedi or dark Jedi is being the main characters and seeing how they go about their philosophy, how that interacts with the universe with them as the actual protagonists, villain protagonists as the central focus of a Star Wars show. God, that would have actually been interesting in a way that they could have done really? with Boba Fett and didn't like, do. Like maybe somebody wants to be a crime boss who does crime instead of specifically a crime Boba boss Fett. Who yes, does no crime. Uh, it's like I, I I did not find the resolution for these characters worked. I feel like they even what they were setting up. It's like they completely derailed at some point. Maybe it was the unfortunate um, passing of Ray Stevenson. I don't know, but. This did not have enough room to grow and enough space provided for it for what it had previously established and what was the potential for it. So I, I took Shin here. I think you're right about the, the small aspect, but that wasn't my at least initial reaction. My initial reaction was um, persistence or resilience or lack of growth. That Shin is the same as she's always been. And she is, in her own ways, opportunistic. And I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. But whatever opportunities she has is what she's going to work with. And fine, she is left behind. She has no options. So she's going to take control of as much as she has access to. You could look at it as, wow, that sucked that she had left behind and she's making the best of it. Uh, I don't think you're wrong to say, wow, she thought she was going to rule the world and now, you know, she's MOOC number one on planet number 705. Um, but she is still just going to do her best and use strength to get as much power as she can. That she's either still true to herself or has learned nothing or both. So I, I didn't know whether to take that as like strength in the character or weakness in the character, but it was sad. It, it did ultimately feel like a certain degree of punishment for her reach exceeds her grasp in terms yep. of where she's now left. 
Cut to Balin, who's literally on the hand of the Force Father next to the son. Daughter is missing. Um, and it's obviously a nod to Lord of the Rings, too. Spencer? It, it's the Argonath. The man, is, the man is now in New Zealand, and he's standing on the Argonath. That's just what it is. It, it's, it's a stark visual. It, it leaves me all the more, you know, sad that we're not going to... If there is a second season, I'll be curious to see how they do it, whether they X the character, which I almost hope they don't. I, I hope they I hope they recast it and go forward in some way. But I don't know going forward. It's just a, it, it's a shame that, for the loss of that actor and the, for the loss of what is clearly an unfinished plot with respect to this character. So I, I am always sad the idea of recasting a actor who was perfect in a role. Um, I'm right now worried about The Witcher because the actor was so perfectly cast, and I don't think a new casting Henry Cavill. Yeah, but you know there was this show called Wheel of Time where my favorite castings uh, was in the first season was a guy named Matt, and Uh-oh. he left, and they recast him, and the recasting was perfect in season two. Do either you know any podcasts that talk about that? Because because we should. Ah, that great question. Uh, as the Wheel of Time turns, the Mangum Talks podcast, we cover the Wheel of Time. We are on episode four, just got released yesterday of season two. We'll do episode five this week. It, it, it's just a, I'm generally in favor of recasting rather than having the character, particularly if like there's established lore and established plan. I, I, I think you should stick with that. That it's unfortunate to have to recast. It's that kind of just like knitting together broken pieces of something to make a greater whole. It's unfortunate, but it's the kind of situation that you have to do with respect to these, like inlaying it with gold or something along those lines. But I, I feel like it's a better plan than just having, in an effort to be respectful, having an aspect of your plot just simply disappear with the death of the actor. I, I feel like the Japanese have a term for that. I think it's, it's, the, uh, it's the casting department, <laughs> what they call it, I think. Uh, cast Sugi, yes. Cast Sugi, perfect. So cut to the um, Thrawn, who's informing they are approaching. He looks, uh, they're approaching Dathomir. He looks out onto the hundreds of caskets, seemingly caskets, in the cargo. Cuts to an Imperial yeah. transport ship showing up to a New Republic flight hangar. Hera comes out to greet it with a blaster in hand. Out comes the stormtrooper. They all draw their weapons. Chopper is chattering away. Chopper figures it out first, which is a great nod to Rebels that. Um, right because um, Chopper and Ezra were always particularly close. It's cool that Chopper is the first one to figure out who it was. Comes up to him, and then uh, he takes his helmet off. Hi, Hera. I'm home. And uh, there we go. We got J- Jamie got Hera this episode. Are, are, are you saying that our Ezra was not smart and thought that he should keep the mask on and go towards the heavily armed people who <laughs> shoot from uh, Our I, Ezra did that? Jamie, what? Jamie, this is weirdly, stupidly, but weirdly consistent with episode one of this show. That apparently it is standard Republic practice to take a ship that you assume is an enemy and just let it land. And it's in keeping <laughs> with that. <laughs> It is. It's in keeping with what they showed us. It's stupid as hell, but it's internally consistent. Oh gosh, you're right. Oh no. Oh no. Don't don't make Ezra smart. Don't make Hera make sense. Stop. I, I, Stop hey, hey. And I wouldn't have expected it, but Hera is the only character on this show. This shows an emotional reaction to re- a reunion. Hera actually looks like she's affected by this. See, that she's surprised See, that here, she cares. Yeah, okay, yeah, I saw that look on her face, and I figured out what it is. Everyone is connected to the Force, right? And the Force pervades everything. Sure. In, in some small part of her soul, she knew 
that the one thing in Rebels that she apparently was good at of bringing the ship up from below for people to jump onto, Hu Yang had just done it without her, showing that she was actually completely useless for the entirety of Rebels. Oh, God, Her that's one hilarious. thing she was good at. That's really funny. They pulled the wool off, and she was never needed. And now Damn the it. Whole I am the one that does the getaway on the ship. I am the <laughs> one. I... Yeah, with my World War our Hera was never actually a good pilot. What with my World War Two space goggles? What what you're saying here is that she looked at this and what she was emotionally affected by was that sudden realization of career security. That's Ahsoka and Sabine with the noti. Sabine watches Ahsoka, who is looking at uh, in the sky at the rings of the planet, which I believe are the purple bone rings. Uh, Sabine walks up to Ahsoka. We're almost packed. We did well. Sabine, not sure, says Thrawn got away. Thanks to you, Ezra got home. Sabine says, I hope. Uh, Ahsoka says, he did, definitely. She knows. So, Spencer, you're, uh, I'm sure you love this, that she's telling her, good job. You did a great job. These people are way too okay with this. Like, no, no, we failed. We failed. Yeah. We yeah, failed. This is so going to be an empire. We failed and we're and on then. a, we're on a, uh, undeveloped planet forever now like we're just in a different galaxy on an undeveloped planet like i don't know that like people care enough seemingly care enough that there are no buildings or commerce or food seemingly on this fucking planet like i mean obviously there had to be some food i guess for ezra to survive but like jesus h christ this seems like a boring fucking place so this place sucks i mean they've only seen this one spot and there are the nomads and there are raiders so there must be some people for them to raid and there were the dathomir people and the stormtroopers have been surviving off something for 20 years Show um, me a fucking skyscraper somewhere. So, but I mean, so you're right. I, I, I saw this uh, as a meme joke, but what did we actually achieve in all this? We had oh. uh, locked away Ezra and Thrawn, and we traded them out for Sabine and Ahsoka, which, to be fair, we got rid of Sabine. So it's almost a fair trade, but I really feel like Thrawn's bad enough that even getting rid of Sabine did not make this a good trade. No, and Ahsoka's yeah. a big loss for the galaxy, for sure. Why couldn't yeah. they take Hera with them? I feel like she would have been an asset. Yeah, this is a straight-up situation of where if our characters had done nothing, nothing, yes. all season, the galaxy and our characters would be better off. And uh, that's a yeah. weird feeling. Well, Spencer, you probably have never... it you You... It doesn't sound like you've ever done any home improvement project, okay, sir? Because occasionally, occasionally with really good intentions and what seemingly is a head full of knowledge and a lot of YouTube videos, you can start a fucking home improvement project and two weeks into it be way worse off than you started. I, I or, pay people or, for or that shit. I, I understand my own limitations. Fair too, Lee. <laughs> it, 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 it reminds me again, Jamie, I, I know you love Last Jedi, but it reminds me again of Last Jedi of where how should I feel at the end of this of where the end result is our characters should have done nothing? No, for, for the record, um, I love everything about The Last Jedi where Luke is on stage and kind of dislike everything else. And I just love his amount so much. I was just watching Last Jedi. I really love when Yoda comes and he says that it was, um, it was like kind of like him and Luke both uh, kind of a espouse this position that was like hubris for Jedi to think that they owned the force or controlled the force. And Yoda was so blase about like, yeah, fuck the Jedi can die. Who gives the fuck? Like I love, I fucking adore that part of it. Yeah. Like, I think that is fantastic. Yeah. that That's all. That's the stuff I love. But yes, the whole, if they had never gone <laughs> down to that gambling planet, the Your world life. would have been better. If they had never tried, 
if they had had just less effort and less gumption, if they had gotten sick that day with the flu, space flu, and stayed in space hospital, it wouldn't. The world would have been a better place. Like if, 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 if after episode one, if Ahsoka had taken that map and just gone on vacation and never interacted with everybody else, we win, and that's it. Yeah. Instead, I, by making an effort, everything got worse for everybody. I I do. I do wish that um, I, I I almost want to give Sabine credit, which I, I don't actually want to give her credit. I know I don't. She couldn't have Go destroyed off. the map. The, the map survived a few seconds of lightsaber. Like shooting it wouldn't have done anything, apparently. But she didn't know that at the time. So she should get all the blame. But she should at least take solace in the fact that she couldn't have destroyed it. The other thing they could have done is go throw it in the dang ocean. Or fly off with it, or just leave it in the temple, or something. You know, give it to tell Hera it's important. Then Hera will lose it, and then it'll be fine. What? <laughs> this is the question, Lee, and this is the question directed to you because you're the only one of one of us that actually knows the show and the characters, particularly in this scene, are treating Ezra getting back to the galaxy as a net win, as if that is a, an accomplishment to a degree that Thrawn getting back is relatively secondary. Us getting stranded is relatively secondary. Ezra returning makes everything else worthwhile. Do you feel that way, given that you're the person that knows the character? It, does, did, is that, and, does that affect you the same way it seems to be affecting the characters in the show? And, and try to remove, as best you can, the fact that you said you're not a huge fan of him. To the extent you can remove your personal... Not loving him. Do answer that question as best you can. Well, Ezra didn't feel that way. Ezra was willing, very willing, to trade him and him for Thrawn. Like Auli, I could, I could hold. The, I, I can, if I stay here and go with the Purgles, wherever the fuck they're going, I can ensure Thrawn goes away. And he readily made that choice. So Ezra didn't feel like it was a bringing him back was a net was more positive for the universe than Thrawn coming back, you know, than Thrawn being away. Right. Like he didn't even feel that way. And I, ne- I mean, when the, when it happened, the reaction from the characters were like, they were bummed, but they were like, respect the hustle. They were really happy that he got rid of Thrawn. Um, it was probably really fucking great that Thrawn wasn't around for episode four, five and six for everybody involved. So shout out Ezra for that. Like, I'm not sure anybody, thinks that getting Ezra back is so so good that it outweighs the bad of Thrawn returning. Like I there's no precedent for that that I saw in the show. What about if you include the fact that we've gotten rid of Sabine? Does that does that balance? Yeah, that starts to change the calculus a little bit. It's in Ahsoka Sabine, we have to start this is almost like um uh book Cersei show Cersei. Like we have got to start talking about Rebel Sabine, who is kinda <laughs> cool. And Ahsoka Sabine, which fucking sucks and is a terrible character. Ahsoka Sabine, which is not successful in so many different ways, even her failures could have been successful. They'd actually run with them or acknowledge them or well, built them into the character or part of the arc. No, yeah. So few of these characters have arcs. Um, it, I'm, I'm, I'm left and I got, I hope they go into this to some degree for what emotional state Ezra would be in after all this. He got reunited with his friends and now has lost them again. And he lost them because they basically just sacrificed themselves to strand themselves forever in the voluntary exile he picked so that he could come back. It's like, 
I feel like like the character is going to be like Rex from Toy Story, just saying, "Now I have guilt." It's like I think what world will, is he left in? I hope it. I hope. Look, I I wish they never created the Ezra character because I think it undermines Luke's story. However, if you're going to have Ezra, now at least he might maybe you could write him as he feels a real weight to do something. They, there was real sacrifice to get him back. So he has got to make it worth it, right? And him teaming up with Luke and actually being part of what ultimately, I mean, like if, if Ezra's the, what actually the linchpin and whatever ends up killing Thrawn, it'll be a wonderful through line to their story. Cause it was, Ezra always had his fucking bullseye on Thrawn. And it would be kind of cool if he was a part of that. So maybe they can spur it into some sort of like, uh, reason to be for, for Ezra in the coming series. So uh, as as he's trying to find penance or make it worthwhile or something, or do you think the fact that he now this. has to hang out with Hera will count as punishment enough for him in his heart? <laughs> that's his that's his master's wife, man. He's got to he's got to respect her. Oh, man, he's going to take on that kid as his training now, isn't he? Uh, oh yeah, for sure. I, th- I told y'all, I, I, you may not have been on the pod when this happened, but I told Jamie, I, I would bet all the money in my bank account versus all the money in your bank account that that kid gets trained by Ezra. I think I said this in like episode three or four. It, I, yeah. I know that's happening. Is there, here's a going forward question. We're basically, well, let's wrap things up and then I've got a going forward question. Uh, yeah, I'll say basically it ends with, um, uh, Ahsoka walking away. Uh, well, first off, I think Sabine senses something, but then doesn't. Explain what it is. I don't Senses know. Anakin. I don't know what that is. And then Ahsoka uh, looks out in the distance, and as Ahsoka walks away, we see Anakin's force goes watching her, and he smiles. And there you go. It is end of series. Or Question. Season one. Did you? Did Ahsoka see Anakin? Do you think? Felt him. Didn't see him. That's what you think. I, I think that's plausible. It was unclear, and I'm okay that it was unclear. But I just wanted your opinions. I felt yeah. like felt him. Didn't see him. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm similar kind of feeling. If she was. <sighs> Again, none of these characters are, I think, as sad or emotionally affected as they should be, but if we want to offer an explanation for that, she's just kind of in a good state of being just generally, and so everything's a water off a duck's back to her, and that's helped by the fact that she's made peace with Anakin, her old master, and her his ghost and his spirit is basically there with her and helps her with respect to that. So. You know what Ahsoka is? Ahsoka is a runner. You know, when you have people like you have people in your life who like run long distances regularly, you can't fucking shake those people. You cannot rattle them. Yeah. They're always in a good mood. Ahsoka, when when between episodes, she's running ten miles a day. Runners are basically drug addicts in terms of how they're using the endorphins sure. you get from abusing your body. And yeah, I'm willing to accept abusing that in terms your of that body, kind of just your chill sure. state. Abusing your body, the, the cardiovascular benefits. Get oh, out of here. Do you want to tell us about that? That you did you run or do CrossFit? Is this is this a cry for attention? Did you want to be want to tell us about your running and CrossFit? Oh yeah, Spencer, I do work out. I don't know if you. Oh you know, okay, Spencer, I don't, you know, I don't know, you know if you're aware, but I I do work out from time to time. Uh, <laughs> all right, best line of the episode. Uh, for me, it was Thrawn's speech. Yeah, Thrawn's, it was me too. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it that. I, I, I'm not going to ask you to go back through the episode because I, uh, I don't, th- <laughs> I don't know that I, I want to put that evil on you. But uh, yeah, I think Thrawn's speech was the best for me. Most of the rest of the episode was very action focused. Most of the rest of the dialogue was pretty minimal. But that speech actually gave us a chance to get some quality writing that was inserted there and that was well delivered. So yeah, his whether we would view it as a handshake across the table or 
a last effort at taunting to break the will of his enemies. It was it 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 worked for me. Jamie, do you agree? Disagree? I I I think I'm just gonna agree because I I didn't have any quote that stood out as like one that I thought broke through. The thing that meant the most to me was actually you know what. Now that I have the context, I changed my answer to Hu Yang, but it's not really quotable when he's explaining about Sabine's past. Um, that's the new information that I value the most. You know, honestly, maybe I'll, I'll change this to be able to give a different opinion uh, for Dathomir. You know, her saying mm, that that's pretty that's good. Behind, that was good. Maybe, yeah, maybe going to her death, and a lot of this is just the delivery. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I love. I was never in love with her character. But I always liked her character, and I always liked her, what her character brought to, honestly, every scene. Even when she was the smart one or the dumb one or the snarky one or the cartoonish one, she always did what the scene needed. And I did enjoy it, as I think was Lee said, a great example of people who are aligned but not totally and who are maybe a little bit open about how they're not aligned but also maybe don't talk about how they're not aligned. And that was just a really – quiet powerful example of that and this person touch of defiance yeah well a touch of defiance a touch of individualism maybe even not giving up her identity like she was supposed to to get her superpowers but you know it was heroic a heroic villain she was being heroic the way she thought she should for Mm -hmm. the things that she valued yeah I'm with you Nostalgic moment of the episode. I think, you know, Anakin is up there, but, uh, I would, uh, I think the Amorai for me, definitely the owl. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think there's a, a lot of, of good, good stuff in here that, that that's callbacks. Um, I would probably, I don't know. I, I think some of Thrawn's stuff, maybe, um, and, and connecting that to his book character is probably the strongest for me. I mean, I know this, this episode veered heavily into Thrawn. And that that part works for me because I'm interested in the character. So uh, a lot of the Thrawn stuff, I would say, is is up there for me. Uh, Spencer? Uh, Thrawn, sure, absolutely. Uh, I would do three other ones that were nostalgic for me. Seeing the planet Dathomir on screen in live action, that was kind of fun. Appreciated doing that. Appreciate that's kind of the first place they're going, which fits into, again, what the hell these caskets are and seeing what that's going to be part of how that works into Thrawn's plan. Uh, I love seeing Mon Calamari cruisers on screen. Those aggressive space potatoes are always just something I very much <laughs> liked. Um, and so it's, it's something I enjoy. Apparently since uh, apparently they decommissioned all of them other than home one. So I'm going to treasure when I see the one Mon Calamari cruiser we get to see anymore. And then, yeah, Anakin's force ghost is always going to be a nostalgic moment and seeing that he is there with Ahsoka and still guiding her across space time or whatever else is in between. That, that's, that's, that's always nice for me. Jamie? So, and my, mine would actually be the uh, the stormtrooper calling in and him just saying, like, sounds good. Like, just doing it so much more effectively than Han Solo did. But, that, and, that was my nostalgia moment. If we, if we were to do, like, callback moments, that callback to the Han Solo moment, Luke's, uh, the, the callback with pulling the lightsaber to the, the Wampa Cave, the show has done callback moments to the, to, the, to, the, to the older films quite noticeably well and intentionally, and that deserves credit. So I, I did not like the I'm sorry, I know. I felt like it was unearned because they hadn't done the emotional work on that about is she actually sorry? What is she sorry for? I, I didn't feel like they had earned either that exchange or that callback. 
Okay. Uh, all right, uh, Spencer, Jamie, I think I want to talk a little bit about where this series goes from now. Um, I just had a question for your guys' opinion. Is there what would you do the odds on whether assuming well assuming Thrawn dies rather than it pulls away by another space whale in terms of wrapping up his plot in the movie or otherwise? Is there what is the chance that Ezra survives that, or what is uh, what, do you, what would you guys suspect the likelihood that Ezra dies to defeat Thrawn? as a way of explaining why he doesn't appear in the next films or whatever else. I'm going to go with like 95%. Like, yeah. Same thought? Yeah, probably. It, it, it's very likely. I Honestly, I think the only way he doesn't die to enable the defeat of Thrawn is if somehow he's killed earlier. Like, if... Because yeah, Star Wars loves, loves, loves having heroes sacrifice themselves to take out the big bad guy. Over and over again, in Obi Wan in four, and Darth Vader and the Emperor in six, and except except in Last Jedi because they've got love. Kylo Ren sacrifices himself. What are you talking about? Not in Last Jedi. Okay, but they. Okay, so I, I was offering a specific mocking example of where they were setting up that moment in Last Jedi and then don't. Wait, you Finn? Yeah, they were talking about he was talking about the Finn moment where she stops him from doing that. Oh, oh, that. Sorry, I thought you meant about, like, killing Snoke, uh, which I do kind of love the killing Snoke thing. Um, Same but, but, again, Kylo Ren survives that moment anyway. Oh, yeah. Okay. I said I love everything about that show where, where there's uh, Luke. I, I also love everything Ray is in in that movie. Ray or Luke. If they're in it, it's good. If they're not in it, it's bad. That's my line for the entire movie. It's a very accurate line. Mm. But, yeah, right. I, I, think, I think Ezra sacrificed himself. Either sacrifice himself at the end to win, or maybe he gets killed in a penultimate thing, driving his allies to avenge him. I mean, he's also a character that we need an explanation for why he's not in the sequel movies, because Ray is seeking out like, you know, she seeks out Luke because he's like, you know, the last force user and last person who can teach her. It's like, well, if Luke's not willing to teach you, you know, wouldn't Luke have kicked her over to Ezra when somebody else have told her about Ezra. Like he, he needs to be dead before the sequel movies for that to make any sense. I mean, it's a, it's a written into a corner kind of moment of where you've now got a lot of other Jedi related characters that are involved in the plot, but aren't there. So you're either having them be killed by Kylo Ren when he turns in the Jedi temple, or you got to have some other explanation for why that part of the plot there, they died previously or they've, they're exiled somewhere else. They're in a corner and they got to find a way out for all these characters they now have roaming around in a way that wouldn't make sense. I mean, you, you just said it. The easy way out of that corner is they go off to help at the Jedi Temple and then we never hear of them again because they get killed by Kylo. You can pigeonhole as many people as I'm going to go be a professor at Luke's temple, dot, 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 sad goodbye move, move, music plays as the audience knows that they're going off to their death. Yeah, the, the, the scene they did not show in Force Awakens was that Kylo Ren put Baby Yoda, Ezra, and Kyle Katarn's heads on pikes just arrayed outside <laughs> the temple when he defeated them. I, here's the one thing. I, here's one thing I think I will. I'm willing to go on record of. They will kill Ezra. They will kill. They don't. I don't think they have to kill Ezra or Hera or Sabine, but they will kill Ezra. Um. They will not kill Baby Yoda in this entire sequel series because they are going to do a post-sequel series thing with Baby Yoda. Almost guaranteed. 
There will baby, be set, baby Yoda set, has to be old. He has to get old and make new yeah, baby Yoda. It will be there. There'll be some explanation for why it wasn't in the sequel movies, and then they will they will create something that's like set a hundred years in the future where he's rebuilding the Jedi Order or something. as Grogu. We'll get that. Um, but I also think that it will be very difficult for Filoni to kill Ahsoka. So I think the uh, there is a significant chance in my mind that he keeps her on Peridia forever because that's a great in, that he doesn't have to kill her. And then there's no ex- you don't need an explanation for why she's not in seven eight nine. So I could actually see that almost being the end of that character. Uh, okay, ba- Baby Yoda's already established a close relationship or connection with the space whales. We've seen that in Mandalorian. Odds that Baby Yoda is eventually the one that goes and connects with Ahsoka in the sequel series in the future is in some ways recreating this plot. Lee's fist pumping in the background. I mean, yeah. If I I think I kind of like your idea of this is how they get Ahsoka gone, and then like. They don't really have phases for this way they do for Marvel, but in like 20 years of real world time, deciding, hey, let's have Grogu go finally bring Ahsoka back. Sure. I think that's a great way that they kickstart some new phase of Star Wars. And I would love to see the whole, I'd love to see it all play out. Like Grogu tells Mando, I got, guess what we're going to do this week? And Mando's like, uh, say what? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not getting a fucking whale's mouth. And then we have that great back and forth. Oh, it'd be wonderful. It, it would also be a very interesting reverse Dagobah because it's Yoda going to the Jedi Master yeah. on the isolated world. Yeah, I, I don't think they. I don't think there's any chance they kill Grogu in this series, but I think that they will. They will do something to make sure we know why he wasn't in the sequel movies. Because I mean, I know there was an initial hope that like they would just scrap the sequel movies. They are not doing that. They are going to make everything fit to make the sequel movies make sense. So that's something you just have to consider as they're planning all this and, stuff. And they will break the New Republic on the wheel to make that happen in all of our hearts. All right. Anything else we want to say about Ahsoka as we wrap up the series? Uh, I mean, how, how, would, how would we rate it? Lee, you, we, we, we've been doing most of the topic, most of the talking. How would you rate the series uh, now that it's wrapped up its eight episodes? And to what degree does that depend on whether this is a first season or whether this is a one-off? It's a B. Uh, I would have had it at a B plus, A minus before the finale. You know, it's hard, like... When the finale is a C for me and it's an F for you guys, like, I'm not going to fucking get out in the streets with fucking, you know, my army to, to fight you when it's a, when I feel like it's a C, right? Like, I don't feel super passionately about it. So that's, so that's kind of why I stayed quiet. Like, I didn't think the finale was as good as it could have been. There were parts that worked for me. I didn't hate everything about it. Um, but I, I felt like that made it dip a little bit. They did not land the plane as well as I would have hoped. But overall, uh, I loved it. I loved that it. One thing I really love that the series did is it forced <laughs> um, mm. the audience to care about the lore. And I know that annoyed people, right? They were like, I don't want to watch all of Rebels and I don't want to have to know all this stuff. It's like, great. But like the people who were still committed to watching it were sort of like they were forced to learn a bunch of characters. They were forced to learn a bunch of backstory. And I like that. I, I you know, the Andor is fun as a standalone story. But I also enjoy all the million interconnected pieces with the comics here and the books there and the, this series and that series. All that stuff is like fun. That's like part of the fun of fantasy, right? Is like really delving into the lore. So I appreciate that it did that. Jamie? So I, I do want to say I, I've been hard on this episode, the whole thing, and I'm not retracting that. But I do want to say everything I was unhappy with is because it undermined either a potential or character development or things that I think would have made sense. It didn't ruin any of them for me. 
so I, I'm big on endings. They didn't stick the landing. It does hurt this season by not sticking the landing. But none of the mistakes in this episode were fatal or ruined. It, no part was ruined. There's not now even one part that I would say is ruined because of the episode. There's just some wasted potential and some things that were undermined. So, I mean, I, 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 I do still give the season honestly a B plus because I'm nice still because I, I do try to be nice. I, I did enjoy it. The whole thing. It sounds bad because I hate the endings, but I love the season. And especially because I think there's going to be another, um, I think. So that, that's where I put it. Um, it's probably my second least favorite still, but that's just because I love Andor and Obi-Wan and Mandalorian so much. Um, so it's, I, I like it better than Boba Fett. Um, so that, that's kind of my takeaway. I'm it. I'm basically. I was. I'm left back where I kind of was after episode two, in terms of my overall opinion of the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode two of this show, not the Star Wars. Uh, so kind of come out to that point. Um, it's the kind of thing of where with episodes three, four, five, and six, I was getting more and more fond of where I was thinking, oh, this is now going to rival Mandalorian in my mind in terms of where it ranks. I don't think it ever quite got that consistency of Andor in terms of just level quality in my mind. But I was like, I'm, this is really at the top tier of the Disney TV shows. This is one of the better things they've done in Star Wars in a while in terms of what I was seeing in those episodes and where I was hoping they could go for how many interesting potential they had with respect to the show. Seven and eight kind of knocked it back, back, back down to where I was at the, after watching episodes one and two, uh, where they didn't go where I thought they could have gone. They didn't use the same potential. They didn't make use of all the resources that they had to the ability, I think, that they were capable of. And it ultimately leaves me of being, I still think it's just an overall, unquestionably at higher highs than Boba Fett or um, uh, Obi-Wan in my mind. Um, I think it definitely was more successful than Mandalorian Season 3. But as an overall package... I would put it after Andor and after Mandalorian seasons one and two in terms of where I'll rank it. And for me, put this as a C, maybe bordering on a C plus. See, your ranking confuses me because you're saying, well, it's behind the best and the second best. So I guess it's like a C. Man, you're harsh. Hi, my name is Spencer. It's nice to meet you. It's only the third best Star Wars I've ever seen outside of the movies. So it gets like a C, I guess. It, it, on her. In, in my mind, there's just such a huge gulf in quality between Mandalorian Season 2 and the things that have come afterwards, other than Andor, in terms of, in terms of the other shows, that this is operating within what is a large track of land. And I would put it more leaning towards the better shows at the top than the shows at the bottom. Even if I have... If, Almost at this point, I'm, I'm coming across as more angry at it because I liked it so much in the middle. It, yeah. it was looking so successful. It was having such incredible accomplishments it was bringing to bear. And looking like there was such a clear path forward to have such meaningful additions to the Star Wars universe in this show and without. And then it tripped. Or it just yeah. it, didn't, it didn't see for itself where it could have gone. And that makes it hurt more in the moment than it would be if it was just always at that level of episodes one and two kind of quality. And I'm the same because I've sounded and been very harsh. And I, I, I leaned into that a little bit because it's very rare on these shows that I'm the grumpy one. 
So I kind of decided to lean into it. And, you know, I, I, I hope I didn't break Lee's heart too much. Cause I, I was really hoping he was going to like champion it, but he's like, ah, I see. It's fine. It was just fair. But it, it was, it was partially just the whiplash and it's partially, I hate wasted potential. And this just, that was kind of the biggest problem. It's just so much wasted potential that it hurt and disappointed because it was doing so good. And I still give credit for all that metal stuff is still being good because there are some shows where I feel like the ending's so bad that it under, that it ruins. This didn't ruin. It just failed to build. Okay. I think that's where we can end it. I don't know when we'll be back on this channel because I don't know the next Star Wars project that will be out. It might be Acolyte, which if it is Acolyte, we've got probably about six months off uh, of Star Wars podcast until that comes back. I haven't heard any word on Mandalorian season four. I haven't heard any word on Ahsoka season two. I do not believe we're ready for the Heir to the Empire movie yet, though. So there is probably something coming before we get Heir to the Empire in this space. And I know we get Andor two at some point. Spencer? Not that sadly we can see Ray Stevens in the role, but I floated this earlier, and I'm curious if you all thoughts. How would you guys feel if we got a show of Balon and Shen and what, 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 what they had been doing and from their perspective on the Star Wars universe? I would clear my schedule for a few months because I'd need to watch it every day. I, I, think, it'd be a, I think it'd be a good idea. I, I mean, I'm a little less More excited. as a theoretical than actual. I'm a little less excited about the side quest stories than you guys are. Like, I am interested in... What the fuck happened with Thrawn in this time period? Um, I'm interested in Baby Yoda. Like, <laughs> like the the like. I want to tell this story. Like, so give me Mandalorian season four. Give me Ahsoka season two. Give me the the heir to the Empire movie. Prioritize those, please, Disney. Uh, before I get a Balin and Shin movie or series or whatever. You've already told. You know what Thrawn was doing. He was rebuilding his ship and. Uh, walking slowly, not loading his ship. He was very busy doing that for 20 years. No, I'm talking about like now. Oh, I honestly, I wasn't actually being facetious, but that makes more sense. Hey, yeah. what, one of the things we talked about that I actually liked about Mandalorian as a concept is that it was not the world galaxy changing perspective on things. Well, I actually it is now. I know. I would actually appreciate if there was a certain element of just human stories and Star Wars told from unique perspectives. And I think their journey, their perspective on the on the galaxy would be fascinating from what little we got of them here. I think I, you're I, I think it's on the schedule. I think you're going to get Andor season two and you're going to get Acolyte. Acolyte is about yes. the b- rebuilding of the Sith 100 years prior to episode one which is, a, I think, a pretty interesting story and will probably scratch the itch you were talking about of, like, can we get it? Can we get a perspective of Force users that are not light side Force users and make that, like, the centerpiece of the show? Acolyte's going to be that. And you, if you want stories about real people in this galaxy and, like, what, like, what, what, on, the, what on the ground that looks like, I think you're going to get that in Indoor Season 2. But I hope that Disney now is committing resources to making building this thing up i i'm just terrified that, that they're going to announce like okay we're going to start filming on mandalorian season four in june of next year and then we'll do ahsoka after that and then maybe uh i don't know air of the empire will come out in 2030 like good lord please don't do that let can we please speed the production of these things up a little bit i feel like we're kind of at our adventures moment though aren't we i mean all the plot lines are now kind of converging are we going to still do, be doing independent shows or is it going to be just and now here is the 
moment they're all that moment we've been waiting for, the moment we've been building up for, and now they're all on the same plot line and track. I don't know that they're ready for the Air of the Empire movie, but maybe they are. I don't know. I, I, I'm with Lee on this one. Like a lot of those other tracks have mentioned that Thrawn's coming, so you could shoehorn them in. But having them deal with um, you know, this threat at all on their own, I think would be better than them actually engaging with Thrawn's existence what? all at the same time. Like having the Mandalorian is being chased by Thrawn a little, or you know, as a subplot in his season, so they all have some kind of specific buy-in with Thrawn back, and they all know that he's back, before it's the culmination that will lead to him being defeated. Um, you know, get, 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 the Avengers need some room to breathe beforehand. No, I'm, I'm actually straight there with you. I was kind of assuming the negative there. I would want if they, now that you've set up an arc villain, that you give him an arc. You give him a lot of material to roam in. You set up just how dangerous he is if he's crossing over into other people's shows and causing devastation. Because I, I assume he can't survive his movie. And three hours exactly. ain't enough. And that's my concern, is that if they go right to the movie now, it's like, okay, so Thrawn lasted six months, like, back in the galaxy. And if he didn't, then you're going to have to time jump a lot, because you can't cover that much time in a movie. And if you're time jumping anyway, then why not tell us what happened during that period with the characters that we already know are kicking about the galaxy? With all these other seasons, we could give him six seasons in a movie. One season of each show. community. But because you're right, as it says right now, it'd be six episodes in a movie. Six episodes in a movie is not a successful run. No. All right, there we go. I appreciate you both. This has been a lot of fun covering Ahsoka. Thank you both for your time and doing this with me. I've enjoyed it. We will be back, I don't know, whenever Star Wars is back. We'll be back on this channel. I'll see you then. Woo.